Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Bat Round. I'm your host. Please turn me up a little bit more. Uh, I'm your host, Paul Valley. This is Zach Goodman, my producer and co-host extraordinaire. We are in a different studio. They moved us next door. They, they flip-flopped John's office and our studio. Um, and so we're still getting used to how things are arranged in here. I am uncomfortable with this with this it's, flip, a little bit, it's a little bit different this here. flippity floppity cord attached to my headset it's always there but it's usually I don't know I, I feel you know off kilter you know what I mean but we're here we're rocking with it trying to get through the the kinks in a new setup a little bit we're, we're mirrored from what we normally are we are we are mirrored anyway you don't care about that you care about baseball you care about all things Orioles you care about the bat around otherwise you wouldn't be tuning in right now I want to remind you that the bat around is brought to you by PressBox the best offers for sports betting are available at pressboxonline.com/offers but these offers won't last forever and even if you've signed up with one betting company other offers remain available so please get to pressboxonline.com/offers now and get great bonuses and incentives uh, as you sign up for sports betting big show today Big, big show. If you aren't living under a rock and you're a baseball fan, you know that the Orioles have eight prospects in Baseball America's newly released 2023 Top 100 Prospects list, headlined by number one overall prospect, Gunnar Henderson, who I think is going to have a big year for the Orioles this year. They are only the second team in history to have back-to-back number one overall prospects I think the other one was the Cardinals in like the late 70s or late 80s. Uh, and they are the first team in the history of the sport to have back-to-back number one overall prospects that came from the same draft. And they were the first two picks of the Michael Elias era. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's pretty special. And then when you consider that Grayson Rodriguez is right there, and he's been, you know, two, three on a lot of lists that you've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Baseball America probably doesn't have him as high as some of the other publications, but he's right there too. And he, he really can be considered the best pitching prospect in baseball. So really, if you look at that, it's almost like you have three number one prospects because Grayson Rodriguez is really right there and could be considered by some people to be one of the top prospects in baseball. And it, it's special. I mean, it just goes to show how well they've drafted, how well they've built this team. Um, how well they, they obviously these didn't come from trades, but also how well uh, they've been able to supplement their their farm system with with that. So uh, across the board, it's it's really just showing that the the Orioles are doing a fantastic job. Uh, you know, making this farm system the best in baseball. Well, absolutely, and and Grayson Rodriguez credit to Dan Duquette. He was a Dan Duquette sure, yeah. dr- draft pick. Um, he was the big pop up prospect he was supposed to go towards the end of the first round if not the second round and then his senior season uh the way that he uh, in high school the way he put his body together the workouts and then how he performed rose all the way up in the ranks and was taken 11th overall by the Baltimore Orioles in that 2018 draft now which was kind of a surprise I, I don't think yeah. many people expected that. I, he wasn't on my radar he was kind of out of nowhere right yeah and, he, he wasn't on my radar but yeah. he's the number six overall prospect uh by baseball America number eight by baseball prospectus which I think is low um, yeah, but well, and and they love position players, and True. I I think pitchers are more of a crapshoot, right? Because if a position 100%. player is a, a a top ten um, 
prospect in the top 100 prospect, and then they hit 260 and average 20 homers for right. their career, they're considered a good player, right? A, a pitcher, if you're in the top 10, and you go out there and you pitch your best season is like a three seven five ERA. You're not living up to what they expected. So it's it's easier um, for to have success if you're a top prospect that is a position player. Now you look at this right, and you look at the Orioles having the number one overall pick in the draft in 2022, and it was Jackson Holiday, and everybody raves about this kid. They had they say he's a, he has an advanced eye at the plate, walked twice as much as he struck out in his professional debut last season. Um, he's the number 15 overall prospect on Baseball America. He is the number nine overall prospect on Baseball Prospectus, one spot behind Grayson Rodriguez. There is a chance here that in 2024, the Orioles could have three straight number one overall prospects. In, coming from their system, yeah, Jackson Holiday yeah. is is supposedly that good. He's going to have to put up you know similar numbers what Gunnar Henderson did. Um, you know, I I would think his OBP would have to be three eighty three ninety. He'd have to hit a lot of home runs. There's going to be the statistics have to be there. You know, you can project a guy all you want. You can look at Jackson's raw talent and say, wow, you know, this this kid can really do everything. He's got a great eye. He's got power. He's going to grow into the body more. Um, he's good bat-to-ball skills. Whatever you want to say about Jackson Holiday, he's going to have to put it up in the numbers, too, to be that number one overall prospect. I mean, you've seen guys, Nick Gonzalez is a great example. You know, we look at him compared to Joey Ortiz. They both went to New Mexico State. Uh, he Nick Gonzalez was a first-rounder. Ortiz a fourth-rounder. Ortiz has put up the numbers. Gonzalez hasn't. And when, mm-hmm. you know, they were both considered probably to be guys that have a little bit of projection left to them. Uh, Joey Ortiz is a top 100 prospect, and Nick Gonzalez is no longer. So, you know, you have to really match the the numbers with the projections. So I hope that Jackson Holiday is able to do that, and if he does, he'll be a number one prospect. Well, he's got a couple of things working in his favor. One, the pedigree. It's yep. in the gene pool. Yep. His dad was a seven-time All-Star, incredible player. Matt Holiday was a guy I won on the Orioles so yeah. badly in the mid to late 2000s, the first decade of the 2000s. I wanted him on this team so badly. We got a son at number one overall. So the 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 gene pool is there. The pedigree is there. His baseball IQ is supposedly through the roof. Yeah, They love his glove. They love his arm. They love his speed. They think that he has all the tools to be a five-tool superstar in this league. Uh, so I, I, for one, am very excited about about Jackson Holiday. Um, if he goes out there this year, and you'd think that he's probably going to start, I would imagine he's going to start at Aberdeen yep. this year. Yep. Um, and he, he may have an opportunity to make it to, to make it to Bowie by the second half of the season. Um, I don't see him making it to AAA unless he's just so damn good that they have no choice. But he could end the year at Bowie. And then that puts him on the map, on the radar for 2024, Jim Callis um, from MLB Pipeline, when we had him on the show about six weeks ago, he said he thinks that Jackson Holiday could debut for the Orioles in 2024 at some point, which would be huge. Um, Let's go over the rest of this list. The Baseball America um, Top 100, eight prospects for the Orioles. Number one, Gunnar Henderson. Number six, Grayson Rodriguez. Number 15, Jackson Holiday. Number 41, Colton Kowser. Number 75, still on this prospect list, D.L. Hall. Number 76, Jordan Westberg, Orioles Organizational Minor League Player of the Year. Number 93, Connor Norby, Orioles minor league home run champion last year. He had 29 home runs more than any other minor leaguer. And at number 95, Joey Ortiz, which is... Maybe the most surprising. It is on on it this is. list. Um, 
he did not make baseball prospect prospectus's list. He did not make their list. But Joey Ortiz is a guy who's got a major league ready glove. He's a, he's an elite defender. The bat was solid last year. I think he hit about 280 between two different levels uh, with 19 home runs last year. And this was a guy who had a great bat in New Mexico State, but in the higher altitude of New Mexico State. And a small ballpark. And a small ballpark. Those numbers were inflated a bit. And then he struggled with the bat when he he turned pro. Um, But the bat really came on the second half of 2021. But he also dealt with injury. Um, And then once he got into the season, once he got about a year removed from his injury uh, this past season, that's when the bat turned on. And he absolutely mashed at Bowie. Yeah. Absolutely mashed at AAA. And... The the expectation here is that he's going to go out there and he's going to start a shortstop every day for AAA to start the year, and he may give the Orioles a decision as far if your opening day infield is Adam aside from Ryan Mountcastle first base. We know, we know that's where he's going to be. If your opening day infield is Adam Frazier at second base, Jorge Mateo at, at shortstop, and Gunnar Henderson at third base, if Mateo doesn't come out swinging doesn't get that offensive production going to start the year, and Ortiz gets off to a hot start at AAA, considering the elite glove that he has, the Orioles may be looking at Mateo and saying, hey, man, your leash is a lot shorter than than, than you think. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at... I know we have a different opinion here, because I, I do love the glove of Ortiz, obviously, and, and Mateo, they have a different glove in, in a way that, you know, Mateo is a glove first guy because his range is out of this world. And Ortiz is more of a hands guy. Some of the best hands I've ever seen. They're, they're super quick. Transfers are amazing. Um, but for the bat, I, I think both of them struggle in somewhat similar ways where, you know, the bat to ball skills just aren't there. Ortiz probably has a little more power than Mateo does, but Mateo mm-hmm. hit double digit home runs this year. So maybe he can build upon that. But Ortiz is a guy I just don't see that has a slash line beyond 240, 320, you know, 380 maybe, you know, where he ends up at about a 700 OPS. Sure as hell better than 221, 267. It it is, it is. And you've got to consider, though, that, you know, Jorge Mateo gets you stolen bases. He's really good with base pass and adds a lot of value to your team there. So Mm -hmm. I I don't really know if Ortiz is going to add more value over a complete year than Mateo. Jorge Mateo would, if I can get that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think they're all that indifferent uh, as far as value goes over a 162-game period. But if Joey Ortiz put up a three-war season like Jorge Mateo did, um, that certainly wouldn't be a bad thing. I think the, the numbers would look pretty good for him. If, if Ortiz's defense is similar, and we can both agree... The, and Ortiz, is, we've seen him make flashy plays, yeah, right, like yep. stupendous plays. The, the, the play of him dive, diving in the hole at shortstop in spring training last year, we've seen that play yep. a, a hundred times over the last over the course of the last year. Um, so he makes those flashy plays. You you were alluding to it with Mateo. He gets to balls that most guys don't right. because he's right. so freaking fast. But if Ortiz can play really steady defense, and I think he makes the routine play better than Mateo does. If he can play steady defense, make the routine play, and still be flashy, still have that, I a, think a, that's a, true. A, a yeah. good UZR, and he's a better offensive player. I don't think. And, and look, you have to look at, uh, at Jorge Mateo being a three-win player because of the balls that he gets to the other guys don't, and yeah. because he led the American League in stolen bases. So he has that speed factor, and that but is a big part of his game. I don't is. think we can discount that. No, you absolutely can't discount that, and that's why there's value to him and why there's a spot for him on this team as we currently stand even with Joey Ortiz in the equation it may force Mateo to a utility role yeah. um but 
with, especially with the new, with the rule change, you can only uh, throw over twice. Third time, if you don't pick them off, it's a balk. Um, the bases are bigger. So they're trying to get more offense into the game. The shift isn't allowed anymore. So Mateo could steal 50 bags this year if he gets on base enough. Easy, easy. You know, he, yeah. he, he, and you could see Cedric Mullins set a new career high. I think Mateo, one year in the minors, stole like 72 bases. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy has unreal speed, and that is the big part of his game that really gets that war number to be where it is. I mean, war is obviously a cumulative stat of all the different parts of your game, offense, defense, on the base paths. I thought you were going to say special teams. So, and special teams, of course. Uh, John Harbaugh, special teams coach. Just mm-hmm. want to put that out there. Uh, but no, Mateo, he he's he is that that guy who can really do it all. Um, yeah. But the, obviously, the numbers with the bat to ball skills have to come up. He's got to get on base more if he wants to be that everyday player, and he will compete with Ortiz. I think he will. Oh, and I, I I I do agree. And I think, look, I'm not sold on the fact that Ortiz is going to be this productive hitter at the major league level, but he was productive last year. And he started to be productive the second half of the year before. Keith Law, uh, when I was doing Glenn Clark Radio last year, said that he thought that um, uh, Joey Ortiz would be the Orioles' starting shortstop by the second half of 2022. Uh, Mateo came on, and at that point when the second half started, he had about a five, six-week stretch where he was on fire, uh, which kind of squashed all that. I think Joey Ortiz is firmly in the Orioles' plans. Another thing I think is in the Orioles' plans, and I'm— I am almost convinced of this, and I was talking to you about this right before the show started. Either Jorge Mateo or Ramon Arias is going to be traded before the season starts. Um, you look and you saw um, it's Luis Arise, right? Yep. Luis yep. Arise was traded from the Minnesota Twins. Was that a one-for-one, one, like a straight-up? Uh, it was not a one-for-one. One. There were two prospects that came from the Marlins as okay. well. So, so it was it was Lopez and then two other guys. So the Marlins traded starting pitcher Pablo Lopez, who was on the Orioles' radar. Yep. Or And if he wasn't, he should have been. Uh, they traded him and two prospects to the Minnesota Twins for Luis Arise. Yep. And the reason that I bring that this up is they still have a plethora of starting pitching. The mar- uh, young, controllable starting Most pitching. Most notably, Edward Cabrera, probably. Right. The guy you can probably get. Um. The I'm looking at Ramon Arias, and Ramon Arias was a Gold Glove defender at third base, who also did not make an error at second base in pretty substantial playing time there last year. On top of that, he led all Orioles hitters in hard hit rate at like 46.4 percent. Yeah, I don't think that's a guy that doesn't play every day. I don't. And so when I look at Ramon Arias, I see two one of two things happening. Either he's traded for in a package for a starting pitcher, maybe to the Marlins, um, and you have Gunnar Henderson playing third base every day because we know Gunnar Henderson's playing every day, or Jorge Mateo is traded in a package for starting pitching, and you have Gunnar playing shortstop every day and Ramon Arias playing third base every day. One of those two things, I am almost, I am all but convinced, is going to happen. I just don't see how you have Ramon Arias on your team and he's not an everyday player. And I know that you can give him a start at third base one day and a start at second base another day and a start at shortstop another day. I just don't think that the Orioles are going to do that. That, that. That's moving moving a guy around a lot. Right. I think that he's going to... Uh, something's going to happen where he's either an everyday player here or he's traded someplace else. 
And I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we looked at, we were talking about this again before the show that Arias is a guy that brings a lot of value. And I, I think this is one of those situations where you're going to be selling high on him because you have team control for the next few years with Arias. Um, he's a guy that's going to be in arbitration for a little bit more. Um, and he's a guy that really, again, there, there's the versatility there. And I'm going to talk about the Marlins trade later. I have some thoughts on that. But they could use a guy, another middle infielder, um, that can play third as well that makes a lot of sense for them. I think that trade makes more sense than a Mateo trade would because Mateo is mm-hmm. not going to get you as much value. I, I don't think he is um, because Mateo just, again, lacks the bat-to-ball skills. He doesn't get on base enough. I don't really see a team paying a lot for a 300 on-base guy. Yeah. I, I just don't see that really happening. You can talk about the three-war all you want, and that's great, but we're talking about him also being replaced by Joey Ortiz. So mm-hmm. that should tell you everything you need to know about Mateo's bat. Well, if Mateo is traded, he's probably replaced by Gunnar Henderson. Most likely, yeah. But you're right. I mean, it's going to be hard for the Orioles the way they have it built. And the signing of Adam Frazier, it, it becomes weird when you look at this because they do now have to figure out where do we play Mateo and how do we play Arias. Well, you've got to get both of those guys in. They're both, when they're good, three more players. So you've got to get and them into the lineup. Look, I, I also look at the Adam Frazier signing as a move by the Orioles that says, He's a good on-base guy. Yep. He's got good bat-to-ball yep. skills. He doesn't strike out. He's kind of the opposite and, of Mateo. And so what What I honestly believe that he is going to bat second in mm-hmm. this lineup. I, I think that the, that's the only way that you justify it, really, um, as far as, ju- as you, justif- that you justify not getting a middle-of-the-order bat. And I had somebody say to me on Twitter the other day, uh, Adam Frazier is not hitting second on this team, period. And I'm like, um, if he's a player that he was prior to this right. past season— Yes, if he Adam is. Frazier hits three fifteen, he is the perfect number two. He's not going to hit three fifteen. He probably won't, but he has. But 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 if he's if he's hitting two eighty with a three forty five on yeah. base percentage, he's going to bat second. Yep, he's going to be your number two hitter, and that that puts Gunner third, Rutschman fourth, Mountcastle or Santander fifth, and then Mountcastle or Santander sixth. Then your lineup looks a whole hell of a lot better. Um, so I think something's happening in the next few weeks, maybe before spring training, maybe just yeah. after spring training starts. That's going to be a trade. Uh, with the Orioles, with somebody. Um, I, I just think they have too many infield options, um, and I think they want one more legitimate starting pitcher. It, it, right. To me, it just it makes too much sense too much sense from every perspective not to do it. We really got to get moving here because we have um, we've got Kyle Glazer from Baseball America at 1040. He's going to talk to us about that top, um, the Orioles' eight prospects in the Baseball America top 100. He'll join us at 10:40, and then at 11:10, he's finally allowed to come on the show, making his the bat around debut. Rock Kabako from MassInSports.com will join us at 11:10. Of course, Stan the Fan Charles coming up here in a matter of moments on the show at 10:20. Doing a little bit earlier, we only have about 15 minutes with Stan um, with Stan today Got because it. of all the other guests. So, um, plus Orioles banter at 11:30, and sounding off with Zach Goodman and some Orioles trivia. Zach, I think he's got a whopper for me today. It's a, uh, <laughs> it I, won't be that hard. Uh, you'll, you'll be good. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, a couple things. Orioles still being linked to Michael Watka. Uh, Zach and I have a difference of opinion here. Zach thinks he makes the Orioles better. I think that he's not doesn't he he's not so good that it's worth replacing somebody like Dean Kramer in your starting rotation or Kyle Bradish. Um, to me, I don't I don't think that Michael Waka uh, is a necessity at this point. However, I do think that it, it's something that, might, that has a legitimate chance of happening. Yeah, that's not my point, though. I, I, I wouldn't replace Bradish or Kramer or any of those guys. I, to me, he's a better pitcher than Gibson. I believe that wholeheartedly. 
but I guess we'll see. I mean, I Gibson had the better 21. Uh, Waka had the better 22. So I I believe I, I'd rather have Waka as my number five than Gibson. Waka's 2022 was his first good season since 2016. You're, you're correct, yeah. yeah. But Kyle so, Gibson had kind of a down year for Philly. So yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. Worst defense, smaller ballpark. That's true. I think, I, and Kyle Gibson has six pitches. I think he's going to bounce back in a big <laughs> when way. You, when you have Gene Segura behind you, it is. Uh, it's pretty obvious what happens. Yeah, but, yeah. I, 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 I think that Kyle Gibson's going to have a nice bounce back year. Also, Trey Mancini, beloved Oriole. Um, he signs a two-year, $14 million deal with the Chicago Cubs with another $7 million in incentives. He can opt out after the 2023 season if he reaches 350 at-bats this season. Quickly, Zach. What can the what can the Cubs realistically expect out of Mancini in 2023? And does he still even have his um, rookie his, when he finished third in rookie of the year in 2017? Does he even still have a season like that where I believe he hit 291 with 24 home runs? No, Is that he, even still in? He, he's probably a 250 hitter, uh, you know, 320, 330 on base guy with a little bit of a better slugging percentage. Um, you know, mid mid 700 OPS guy at this point. Um, not someone who's really gonna uh, blow you away by any means. And he might hit 20 home runs. Um, the power numbers might be there, but I, I certainly don't see Trey Mancini getting on base anywhere close to the way he did uh, earlier. But before everything happened with him. So yeah. it's just kind of the player he is now. He's still a valuable asset, but not a guy who is really going to blow anyone away. Yeah, no, I, I I tend to agree. I hope he has a nice year. Me too. I think the Cubs did some some nice mo- made some nice moves this offseason. They did. So yeah. I think that they're much, much improved. I don't know that they're improved enough to overtake the, um, the St. Louis Cardinals, but they could compete for a wild card. But both the NL East and the NL West are absolutely loaded. So it's going to be tough for two teams to come out of that uh, NL Central. Zach's going to get Stan the Fan on the line while I remind you that the latest edition of PressBox is available now. And it's our annual best of issue. On the cover, of course, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year. And he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles. Ravens and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Joining us on the program now, back for his weekly segment, a little bit earlier than we generally have him on, um, we have Stan, the fan. Charles, Stan, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm fine. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. A lot to talk about today, Stan. The first thing I want to talk about is... Um, a move that was made yesterday right after I finished my notes and sent them over to you, and that was mm-hmm. the uh, Miami Marlins trading Pablo Lopez to the Minnesota Twins uh, along with two prospects for Luis Arise, the American League batting champion from last year. He's the first baseman that they plan to play at second base. A lot of Orioles fans wanted Pablo Lopez. Did the Orioles have anything that they could have offered that was comparable to the American League batting champion to get Pablo Lopez? Um, no, I don't really think so. Uh, I mean, the, the, I'm sure, I'm sure that Kim Ang and, uh, Mike Elias chatted several times during the past couple months, but I just don't think Austin Hayes or Mullins was going to get the job done for, uh, you know, for Pablo Lopez. And how much better does Pablo Lopez make the Minnesota Twins? And are you... The and, and I don't want to steal thunder from Zach's stunning off segment, but 
Is it a little bit of a head-scratcher that now the Marlins seem to be playing a lot of guys out of position just to have that offense be a little bit better? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they're going to be playing a Roz at second base, which moves Segura to third and moves Ch- Jazz Chisholm to center field. It's a, it's a bit of a gambit, but the players involved are pretty athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Segura's case... He'll, he'll be an adequate third baseman, nothing more than that. But Araz has played most of his career at second base. Right. You know? But uh, but it is. Um, but they had to do something to spark some offense, and I think they made a nice deal. And they certainly had um, a large surplus of starting pitching. But I guess this rules out uh, the Orioles hooking up with the Marlins to improve our uh, starting rotation. Well, and, and Stan, I look at that, and that moves me to my, to my next point, which I didn't put in the notes, but I was thinking about it today. Uh, Birdswatcher.com posted an article about how the 2022 Orioles uh, fared by the StatCast metrics. And Ramona Rios led all Orioles hitters in hard hit percentage. I believe it was 46.4% of his contact was hard, was, was hard hit. And I look at Arias, and he won the gold glove at third base. He, made, he didn't make a single error in his time at second base, and he led the team in hard hit percentage. And it makes me think, I'm almost convinced that before or during spring training this year, the Orioles are going to trade either Mateo or Arias because I don't feel like Arias is a guy that they don't want to play every day. And I also don't see them bouncing him around and not having him be in a position that, that where, he can, where he can get comfortable. What are your thoughts on the idea that the Orioles may trade from their surplus of infielders to maybe pick up another starting pitcher? It's it's certainly possible, but, you know, I was listening to Mike Elias. He was on 105.7 The Fan yesterday, along with John Angelos on the uh, Inside Access program. Mm-hmm. And they were both on the combined for an hour, uh, but Elias was on for a half an hour. He talked, <clears throat> he talked a good bit about <laughs> how excited Hyde is about having some flexibility mm-hmm. Um with that lineup with Frazier and Urias and the movability of the pieces. Whereas, you know, it might be certain days they want to give Mateo off because of the pitching matchup and they can move Henderson to short, you know, uh, play um, uh, Frazier at second and play Urias at third. I'm not so sure that that's their game plan now. Um, I think they've got one more line out in the water and that is Michael Waka. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's the guy that I think they've sort of, uh, you know, crystallized on all along and thought. And, and I think the the problem is he made five point three million last year. And when you look at his when you look at his innings pitched, you know, one hundred and twenty seven and a third innings, that looks like it's about what you're going to get out of him. Mm-hmm. But um, but his numbers were pretty good last year. Three thirty two on uh, ERA, a one twelve WHIP. Uh, and if you you know I, one of my favorite things to do is to take out certain games out of a pitcher's uh, uh, you know chart for the whole year. Sure. You know, in his last fourteen innings of the of the season, excuse me, the last thirteen and third innings of the season. He gave up 14 earned runs, hmm. and he also gave up seven of the 18 home runs he gave up. 
So he may have been pitching on fumes at the end of the year. Sounds like. But it. if you do take a, but if you do take away that those last three games of the season, his ERA drops to two point seven six, and his home runs allowed goes from one every seven innings to one every ten innings. So he's an interesting guy. I think he's probably looking for ten or eleven million dollars, and the Orioles are probably seeing him as a, you know a seven, seven and a half million dollar guy. And that's a pretty big gulf right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what the Orioles are prepared to do, I guess, is wait them out, you know, and see if somebody <clears throat> like the pirates or the twins come up and offer him more than that, then he'll sign elsewhere. Otherwise I have a hard time thinking he won't pitch this year. Uh, so something will happen with Michael Walker in the next two weeks, I think. Uh, the next two weeks, okay, because my, my next point, based on what you were just saying, was the last time that the uh, last couple of times that the Orioles waited a pitcher out, you're looking at Alex yeah. Cobb in 2018, and you're looking at Giovanni yeah. Gallardo in 2016, and both those guys yeah, came those over. Were under, those were under. Those were under different general matters. Sure, and but my, my point there is that they were signed after spring training started. They had to have a, a quick yeah. ramp up to the point where Cobb was signed so late that he couldn't even start the year with the Orioles because he wasn't ramped up right. enough. And both right. of those guys were pretty awful uh, in their in that their. Was a, that was a pretty that was a pretty screwy situation too. They signed Cashner and Cobb that year, and both of them were clients of the same agent Brady Anderson had. And that was mm-hmm. when Brady was sort of jumping in and, and over, you know, over Duquette, it was a mess. Uh, so I don't look for Michael Elias to operate that way. I think, sure. uh, I'm not saying we won't get somebody March 10th or mm-hmm. March 15th. I think his much preferred battle plan would be if we don't sign him in time to get him to camp, then we probably won't sign him. That's what I think. No, no, that, and that makes sense. And it's, it's a great point that it's a different regime, and Michael Elias does not operate that way. That's an, that is an excellent point. Yeah. Now, now, Stan, yeah. the the Orioles have eight prospects in the Baseball America Top 100, as well as baseball prospectus. Nine players overall um, make up those two lists. Number one on both is Gunnar Henderson. The only two players that are listed on either um, on either prospects list that have failed to make AAA to this point are Jackson Holiday and Kobe Mayo. How healthy, I mean, how, how much does it speak to the health of the organization that they have so many prospects in the top 100, and how many of these top prospects do you expect to make an impact on the 2023 Major League Baltimore Orioles? Boy, that's a good question. Um, I don't have the list in front of me, but I know Westberg's on it. I can tell you the list Colton if you'd like. Kowser's on it. Yeah, I mean, I I know that generally the names. I don't think Mayo or Holiday are impacting the 2023 season. Oh, absolutely. I think not. everybody else. I think everybody else is in play to, to have some impact on the the Orioles 2023 season. Yeah, it's it. Stan, it's gonna be. <laughs> It's going to be a really fun season because you're going to see a lot of these prospects coming up. You're going to see a lot of prospects that are already here, like Gunnar Henderson, a full season of Adley Rutschman. Uh, as far as evaluating this team, how big is 2023 uh, at the major league level for the future of the Orioles? Well, I think you know, I think that's a large part, uh, you know, of of what the club's doing now. It's a combination. I know the fans wanted. Um, a, a lot more noise this offseason, you know, with a couple sexy 
signings, uh, you know. Remember, this is a team that's still rebuilding, and they're still, they put an awful lot of their assets into the rebuild by paying these guys bonuses um, and things of that nature. And I think they're, they're taking the prudent course. It's not as sexy to fans, but I think we're going to see drips and drabs and, and boulder blotches during the season of these prospects that we're talking about rather than going out and getting locked into two, three, four-year contracts with players that might end up just sort of blocking the progress of younger, more inexpensive players. And I think that, and that's where you and I butt heads sometimes when you'll bring up certain players. You think the Orioles are, I think their game plan is to grow this thing as the attendance grows, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of the things I could hear John yesterday, John Angelos being interviewed by Tim Barbales and Jason Lockenfora. And the, the business side of this is very important to the Orioles. They've got to get fans back in the seats. Oh, and absolutely. Then I think I think all things then become possible. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying John Angelos doesn't want to make a nice salary, but I don't think he's he's building this that way just so he makes more money. I think he really has the the, the organization's well-being, uh, long-term well-being, and and viability at the heart of his decision-making. Stan, quickly, I want to pivot to Kobe Mayo because he's a guy who kind of yep. came in last year as a guy who was on a lot of top 100 lists, and he had made mm-hmm. quite a, a jump up a lot of those lists for the Orioles, and a lot of people pr- projected a really good year for him, and he only had an OBP of 326, uh, ended the year with 19 home runs, and OPS of 782 uh, throughout three levels. What did you make of Kobe Mayo's year, and do you think he uh, belongs on these top 100 lists? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't claim I know enough to say whether he belongs in the top 100 list. I think he had some back issues last year yeah, yeah. that really that really limited him. I'm, I'm very excited by him. I still am. Um, uh, I think it's very key, though, when you, when you project a player, start to watch next, this year and next year, those, those strikeout-to-walk ratios and his strikeouts per at-bats ratios, you know. I've been harping on Mountcastle as a dubious superstar for five years, and the club just keeps, you know, planning to put him out there, and I, I was very disappointed in him last year. That's what happens when you never get that strikeout to at-bat ratio and strikeout-to-walk ratio in line a lot better. Yeah, it's um, and now Kobe Mayo could be uh could be forcing their hand if Mountcastle doesn't come out and really improve upon his 2022 season. Stan, quickly before we let you go, uh, we'd be remiss yep. if we didn't talk with you about Trey Mancini uh, signing with the Chicago Cubs, two years, fourteen million dollars, uh, with another seven million dollars in incentives if he uh, accrues three hundred and fifty at bats in twenty twenty three. He then uh, can trigger an opt-out clause for the 2024 season. Um, how do you feel about this deal for Trey Mancini, and how much does he have left in the tank? Um, those are good questions. Uh, I'm very excited for Trey that he got 
got a deal that that nice that that could pay him very nicely. You know, fourteen million is nothing to sneeze at. Sure. And if he earns that full twenty-one million for two years, that's about as good as you could have expected coming off of the season he had this past year. <clears throat> uh, Trey's battled through a lot of things. There's no question when you look at his career, sort of, you know, the trajectory of his career that the cancer seems to have really, you know, taken a toll on him, whether that's a long-term toll or whether that's something that gradually he can get back, you know, some more stamina and, and less fatigue and stay as strong as he is for a whole year. I, I'm not a doctor. I can't project, you know. It's clear, though, that he was a much better player before the cancer than he has been since the cancer. And I'm hoping, uh, because I love Trey Mancini, still would have loved him on this team. Um, and at the dollars you're talking about, I, I'm not so sure I don't prefer him over uh, Ryan Mountcastle. Well, so that's that's my thoughts. Now, hopefully Mountcastle punctures uh, everything I just said and has goes out and has a really big, big year because he's capable of it. But I just, those numbers keep looking, staring me straight in the face and say, well, this is who he is. He's got to be something different, and I don't know if he's capable of being different. Well, we've only got about five weeks till the till, um, till we're going to see for sure. what he, Not even, probably about four weeks until we'll, we'll, we'll start to see that this season. Well, my, my answer on Mancini ended up being about Mancastle just as much, but I'm, I'm rooting for both players. Yeah. They're both good people. I think I think we all are. Stan, we got we got to hit it. Uh, but right. thank you so much. Have a Talk great weekend. You, Talk to you next week. You too. Bye-bye. And that was Stan the Fan, Charles, who's still in 2023. will continue to have two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Thursday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Luke Jackson dove deeper into what the Orioles have and have not done this offseason, while Stan and Gary caught up with Press Box Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka. Find those shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or pressboxonline.com slash video. And don't uh, don't forget to tune in this Monday when Stan and Ross are back uh, for another great show, guest to be determined. We got to catch our first break when we come back from Baseball America. Kyle Glazer joins the bat around to talk about the Orioles' eight prospects in their top 100. That next on the bat around. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual best of issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition 
edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Experience the best in Kamado Grilling, a complete outdoor cooking appliance. The Ginsu Kamado Grill allows anyone to sear, grill, bake, and smoke all types of food. Designed for efficiency and function, the Ginsu Kamado Grill upholds the enduring legacy of the iconic Ginsu brand. The Ginsu Kamado Grill is perfect to cook all year round, is great for parties, and ideal for tailgating with your friends. Reserve your Ginsu Kamado Grill today at ginsugrills.com and get $100 off on your pre-order when you use the promo code tailgate that's ginsugrills.com reserve yours today stand the fan here welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors the costas inn and everybody around baltimore knows the costas inn is a great place to go and grab crabs steaks salads soups whatever is on your mind to eat in person but did you know that the costas inn has upped their game they are now one of the premier takeout places in baltimore give them a call now to order your food 410-477-1975 that's the costas inn over 4100 north point Boulevard. Welcome back to the Batter Round. I want to remind you, today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealers. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, and you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. So check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Joining us live on the show now, it came out this past week, the new 2023 Baseball America Top 100 Prospects list, and the Orioles were well represented, featuring eight prospects in that Baseball America Top 100, including the number one overall prospect in Gunnar Henderson. Joining us now on the bat around is Kyle Glazer of Baseball America, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about this prospects list. Kyle, good morning. It's Paul. It's Zach. Thanks for taking some time for us. How are you today? Doing all right. Thanks for having me, guys. We're thrilled. We always love getting a chance to talk with you about these Orioles prospects. Um, you have, again, eight Orioles prospects featured in the top 100. Most surprising, I think, to all of us is Joey Ortiz at number 95 overall. How did Joey Ortiz shoot up your rankings? Yeah, so first and foremost, he's always been a really, really, really good defender. He's mm-hmm. getting back to his college days. Um, that's something that has always given him kind of this ability to really stand out on the field. Uh, but he's always kind of a, a light bat, so to speak. What we've seen the Orioles do is um, have a lot of success making some changes to you know swings and just you know really help guys get better as hitters. We've seen it throughout their system. That includes Gunnar Henderson. Um and over last year, you know, Joey Ortiz got to AAA and over the second half made us some swing changes and we saw his exit velocity start to shoot up and his production went through the roof. He was one of the most productive hitters in the minor leagues the second half last year at the high, minor's highest level. So, you know, in talking with evaluators around the game, there's a sense that, you know, he's not necessarily a slam dunk top 100 guy. But he's in the conversation there at the back. And when we sort of looked at all the other names around, we said, here's a guy who's a great defender, 
who hit and performed at the highest levels in the minors and, you know, keeps getting better. This isn't a guy who's regressing or stalling. And ultimately, when we looked at him compared to some of the other guys we were considering at the back, it was a pretty compelling case. And with the Orioles, they have Jorge Mateo, a Fielding Bible Award winner at shortstop from last year, an elite defender with a pretty weak bat. I believe he uh, hit 221 with a 267 on base percentage last year, but did lead the American League in steals. If Jorge Mateo gets off to a slow start, how likely is Joey Ortiz to take his place, and how do they compare overall as players? Yeah, I mean, again, some of that's going to depend on how well Ortiz is performing, right? So mm-hmm. the second half of that coin is he has to show he can continue it. What he did last year, particularly in the second half, was beyond all expectations. So we have to see if it's sustainable. That's the first part of that. But look, it's just like any other position on the diamond for any other team in Major League Baseball. If a guy is really, really struggling, and there's a prospect who's showing he might be a better option behind him, eventually the prospect's going to give a shot, get, get a shot. Um, you know, they're different players. They're both really good defenders in different ways, but Mateo's always been a questionable hitter whose game revolves around speed. You know, Ortiz, you know, has the ability to just make more contact and, and do a little bit more damage. He's not a slugger by any means, but um, there's definitely a little more thump there, but he's maybe a little less dynamic, if you will, in some other aspects of his game. So, look, it's on Jorge Mateo. You know, it's, his, it's Jorge Mateo's job to lose. But if he scuffles, you know, and Ortiz keeps up doing what he's doing, it would not be a surprise to see Ortiz getting some reps at some point during the season. Now, another guy who is an option uh, at shortstop for the Orioles, if not now, then certainly in the future, although he's got the bulk of his playing time at the big league level at third base, that's Gunnar Henderson, your number one overall prospect for Baseball America in 2023. Made it to the majors at the end of August last season, and there was never really a point, uh, as far as my eyes are concerned, where he looked overmatched. Uh, We've heard his work ethic is tremendous, and his drive to be better is sensational. How good is this kid, and what are some realistic projections for him? Yeah, I mean, he's very, very, very good. Uh, he projects to be, you know, potentially in an all-star third baseman who hits for average, hits for power, um, plays good defense for you. Um, now, it, it's important to note that not all prospect crops are created equal, you know, just as some draft classes are stronger than draft classes in other years. Some prospect crops in some years are stronger than others. So, you know, Adley Rutschman, even though he was number one last year and Gunner's number one this year, was a better prospect than Gunnar Henderson. Adley Rushman was just a generational type of prospect, as was Julio Rodriguez at the top last year as well. You know, so Gunnar's not quite to their level where you're talking about a face of the franchise type, but he's really, really, really good. And again, if you have a guy who's hitting for power and average in the middle of your lineup, playing third base, making all-star games, that's a great player. You know, the Orioles, they certainly have a good problem on their hands. They have a plethora of middle infield guys who are, you know, creeping up those prospect boards and uh chief among them is jackson holiday number one overall pick in 2022 has the genes and the baseball iq to be as good as he wants to be where do you expect him to start the 2023 season and then end the 2023 season and is it possible that this time next year we're talking about the orioles being the first team ever with three consecutive number one overall prospects yeah, so realistically, you expect him to start at low A this year. He got up there for a brief minute at the end of last year. And look, this is an incredibly, incredibly talented kid. You have to remember, he was in high school at this time last year mm-hmm. and still is just very young, growing into his body, has a long way to go. So, yeah, you start him in low A. I mean, best case scenario, you know, the Cinderella season where everything goes right, you know, maybe he ends the year in double A. Um but there's no question that there's a, a very real possibility that if Jackson Holiday continues on the path he's on, 
continues doing what he did last year, we could be talking about a guy who's the number one prospect next year. And you're right. That would make the Orioles the first team ever to have three uh, top overall prospects, uh, three different players, I should say, back-to-back-to-back uh, back to back years. The only other team that's even had two is the Cardinals back when uh, it was J.D. Drew and Rick Ankiel were back-to-back back number one prospects. So if, if that happens, the Orioles certainly will uh, be making history in, in a prospect sense. Now, with a guy like Jackson Holiday, we've talked with other people on the show in the industry, and some believe that he could uh, debut with the Orioles in the second half of 2024. Are you pumping the brakes on that kind of projection, or does he have a real chance with the talent that he has if he continues to progress to make that happen uh, in 2024? That would be the dream scenario where absolutely everything goes right. No injuries, no, no, no nothing going at any sideways at any point. And Look, things happen. Even Carlos Correa got hurt in the minors and missed half the season. You know, it didn't mean he wasn't going to be a good big leaguer, but sometimes people get overly aggressive on timelines, especially with high school draftees. Again, real, I mean, it, that would have to be every the Cinderella scenario where everything goes perfectly. Sure. I think realistically, if you build in a little more, again, you know, realism and, and just accepting life happens and injuries happen and things happen and even the best players go through slumps at times and, and have moments where they need a reset, you know, I think you're probably looking, even even 2025 would be an optimistic timeline. So I think it's important to let the kid go out, play, show what he can do, and not try to rush him or put, you know, artificial timelines on him. And, you know, the Orioles have enough players, big league and minor league-wise, that are either there or going to be there soon, that they don't really need to rush a guy like Jackson Holiday. Two of those guys are Jordan Westberg and Connor Norman. We both had tremendous 2022 campaigns. Westberg got off to a bit of a slow start, but really came on um, from about June on. Uh, he was the organizational minor league player of the year. Connor Norby led all Orioles, not na- all Orioles players, uh, big league or minor leagues, not named Anthony Santander in home runs. I don't think it's likely, Kyle, that we see them share the same infield at the big league level. Uh, I do believe one, if not both, will be traded. Which of these two players has the higher upside, in your opinion? Well, we look at Westberg and what he offers, both offensively and defensively. That's mm-hmm. key. I mean, this is a guy who's who's a really, really good defender on the left side of the infield, can play short or third. Whereas Norby's more of a pure bat. I mean, he's fine at second base, but again, he's further down the defensive spectrum and not quite as good defensively. So that's where you give Westberg the edge. Um, but again, if Norby goes out and not hits Westberg, then maybe you know he turns out to be the better player. Ultimately, it's the bat that's the biggest driver of your upside. So they're both good players, and and you're right. You know, having a lot of talented middle infielders who are productive sprinkled throughout your minor league system, that's, that's a good problem to have. And those are guys who are very, very appealing in trades. And the Orioles are going to need to add some pitching. So it wouldn't be a shocker to you know move one or more of them to go get some arms to compete. Yeah. I'm I'm almost convinced that there's going to be some deal before or during spring training this this year, uh, be, for, from the Orioles dealing an infielder uh, to pick up some starting pitching. I think we're on the same page there. Now uh, you mentioned the pitching, and the Orioles do need a little bit more. But you have Grayson Rodriguez. He's expected to begin the season on the opening day roster and eventually develop into an ace. It used to be that you couldn't mention Grayson Rodriguez without D.L. Hall and vice versa. Now we're not sure what to make of D.L. Hall. He's a top 100 prospect who throws from the left side with a starter's repertoire and then some. And you'd think he would have future ace written all over him, but his future role is foggy at best. Uh, He's yet to find a way to limit the walks that have plagued him to this point. Is D.L. Hall, when it's all said and done, a big league starter or a big league reliever? 
He's a reliever, and he's been a reliever for three years. I think it's important to read, you know, Baseball America and not prospect hype blogs. Mm-hmm. Look, he's always had great stuff, but he's never been able to stay on the mound and be durable, and he's never been able to throw strikes consistently. Um, he's a great arm. He's going to help the team in a bullpen role. I think your, you know, dream outcome is maybe he becomes a Josh Hader, which would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a reliever, and he's been a reliever for three years. Yeah, uh, you know, well, a, a, a lot of people seem to think that. I am not willing to give up on him yet as a starter, but I know that at this point it's probably a pipe dream. I just his stuff is so good, and if he can ever limit those walks and stay healthy, I think he could be really, really nasty. But you know that we've seen so many uh, former starters like Zach Britton and Andrew Miller even come through Baltimore and be just lights out relievers. So it's not the worst case scenario if that happens with DL Hall. Now Grayson Rodriguez, this guy. It was seemingly his last start at AAA last year when he had the lat strain that kept him out the next two months. Uh, he could have come up to the majors in September, but the Orioles kept him down at AAA. We expect him to start the year in the opening day rotation. What is his ceiling for 2023? For 2023, um, you know, expect him to be a good, productive pitcher, but like all young pitchers, he's going to have his ups and downs. You know, you can't simulate facing guys in, in the major leagues and AAA. You know, there's a lot of guys who went on to be Slang Award winners. If you look back, their first year or two in the majors was a little bumpy. I, I like to tell you one, Max Scherzer got demoted in his third year in the majors mm-hmm. and didn't have a fir- his first subs 3.5 ERA as a full-time starter until his sixth season. So starting pitchers take a little while. I think Grayson Rodriguez has every ability to grow into an ace, um, a one, a two, the type of guy you – give the ball to start a playoff series and say, go win us this game. Um, but it's going to take time. I think for 2023, you know, again, if, if he can stay healthy, expect him to look dominant some days, struggle some other days, and figure out how to pitch and be successful at the major league level. Um, I would not expect him to be an ace from day one. That's not fair to him and also not just not realistic when you look back at baseball history and, and high school pitchers especially. Yeah, no, I I tend to agree with you, and I think that that's a a, a fair analysis of a of a young guy who could turn into a phenom, but just getting his feet in the water at the big league level. Uh, a couple of omissions from the top 100 list for the Orioles: Kobe Mayo, elite power, killer of fastballs, huge arm, has a little bit of trouble with off speed stuff. Um, how close is he to cracking the top 100? And does he stay at third, move over to first, or utilize that big arm by moving to a corner outfield spot? He's not really in the top 100 conversation right now. He went backwards offensively okay. last year in a lot of ways. His stance, his setup, his swing. Um, again, he's, he's certainly got big power. You certainly can see the talent. But, you know, th- there's a lot of guys like this in the minor leagues. Young, big, powerful, but need to figure out some things at the plate in terms of making contact. So, um, you know, there have been times where he's certainly looked really promising and you see the talent. Maybe he comes out this year and it clicks. But that's going to have to happen again. When you compare him to other guys in the minors, there's no case for him to be in the top 100 uh, that's, right now. That's fair enough, and it's up to him to put his name back into that conversation this year, and we're certainly hoping that he does. Uh, and then the the other one that I wanted to talk about a little bit is Heston Kerstad, number two overall pick in the draft by the Orioles. In 2020, he gets diagnosed with myocarditis, misses uh, almost two years, and then in spring training, on the first day of spring training last year, or the first week, he has a hamstring strain that keeps him out 8 to 12 weeks. Finally healthy, really nice season at... Um, I believe it was Delmarva, got to Aberdeen, struggled a little bit, um, but still really turned it on for the playoffs, gets out to the Arizona Fall League, and all he does is win the MVP of that league while um, participating in the Home Run Derby. Big-time power to all fields. How close is Heston Kerstad to your top 100? 
Again, he's not particularly close right now, but mm-hmm. first and foremost, it's great to see him back on the field. That is just awesome to see, and everyone is rooting for this kid uh, to you know, be able to stay on the field and, and get the chance to play after everything he's, he's been through. Um, in terms of saying you know, he's going to be one of the 100 best major leaguers currently in the minor leagues, you know, there's still a ways off from that. Going mm-hmm. out and showing he can perform over a full season against upper-level pitching as an older college draftee, and as impressive as the Arizona Fall League stint was last year, and you don't want to take anything away from him, you know, the pitching in the Arizona Fall League is pretty horrible. Um, yeah. You know, the MVP last year was Nelson Velasquez, who once he got to the majors hit 200 with 250. So, I mean, you know, you, you never want to read too much into Arizona Fall League stats, particularly for position players. Um, he showed you big power, um, but there was also times the defense was really rough and you saw him swing and missing against better stuff. Um, so I, I think it's more just going out, showing he can perform against upper-level pitching over the course of a full season, and then we can start talking about him in that tier. Are there any other Orioles prospects that are closer to the top 100 that maybe we're not talking about right now? Not really. I mean, again, when you have eight guys in the top 100, that's pretty pretty awesome, and uh, that's you know the most of any team in Major League Baseball. I think it's more there, you know, Six guys who are definite, um, you know, Norby and Ortiz are more on the cusp. If you wanted to say they should be just off the top 100 prospects, that's a fair argument. Um, we decided to put them on. And then after that, again, it's, it's really just that group, that, that, that top six to eight. Oh, and you know what? Like you said, eight. It, it, I haven't seen that many except for maybe the Padres a few years ago when they had 10. So it's certainly um, – an awesome thing for the Orioles and their fan base to see moving into this season. Kyle, we certainly appreciate you taking some time for us here on a Saturday morning. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of the offseason, although I don't believe you get an offseason. Uh, and hopefully we'll be talking to you closer to the draft. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Thank you. That was Kyle Glazer from Baseball America joining us here on the Bat Around, giving us great intel on the Orioles top uh, the, the Orioles top eight prospects who were in their top 100 yeah. and um, you know it's interesting to hear what he says about Kobe Mayo and Heston Kerstad. We do know that Kerstad struck out at like a 33 percent clip sure. in the Arizona Fall yeah. League uh, and that Kobe Mayo he had the back injury last year. The batting average, the power is always going to be there, but the batting right. average is, and on base percentage just way too low. I agree for him to be on the top 100, but it's it's up to Mayo. The first time I saw him hit. The swing was just a thing of beauty to me, and the back oh, yeah. speed was oh, yeah. absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. If he can put it together, man, and, and Mountcastle struggles in the next year or two, he could push him. But again, it's up to Mayo to reverse the trend because right now he's going in the wrong direction. Right. I mean, I, I was curious with Stan, um, and I asked him about Kobe Mayo. You know, you look at the numbers and 326 OBP, the power was certainly there. I mean, you know, the, the slugging percentage was able to get him over uh, 800 at one of the levels he played at and, and OPS-wise. So the power's been there. But the swing and miss is too high. Uh, the pitch recognition maybe not where you want it to be, and the contact overall just isn't really there for him right now. So he's going to have to make a couple leaps there, I think, to get kind of back into that top 100 conversation. He was firmly in the top 100 conversation mm-hmm. just a year ago, but you have that year where he kind of takes a step back, like Kyle said, and now you're looking at him more as a guy who's kind of maybe in that 200 range as opposed to 100. Still a prospect, still a guy the Orioles are going to look at, um, and certainly with the the first base and corner outfield depth they have um, right now in the organization is not as high as it was a couple years ago. So you know a guy like Mountcastle um, is going to have to worry about a guy like Kobe Mayo behind him if he starts to turn it on. Uh, it, it, it's crazy because in the 2021 offseason, going into the 2022 season, 
we heard some people talking about how Kobe Mayo might be the best right. offensive prospect yeah. uh, in 2021 and in, in 2022. And he's fallen so far off because of the injuries, because of the the lack of on base capabilities in 2022 that he's not even on the radar right. anymore. He needs to have a, a really nice bounce back, and so does Ryan Mountcastle for that matter. I'm going right. to talk about Ryan Mountcastle a little bit later in the show um, because I think he's a huge bounce back candidate this year. We, I don't disagree. We do have to catch uh, a break real quick. I want to remind you the best offers for sports betting are available at pressboxonline.com/offers, but these offers won't last forever. We're not going to just keep giving you money uh, year-round here, guys. Um, we got bills to pay, too. So even if you've signed up with one of the betting companies, other offers remain available. So get to PressBoxOnline.com offers now and get great bonuses and incentives as you sign up for sports betting. When we come back, Zach's going to sound off on... A little trade that happened yesterday. I'm not sure if you heard about it. And then Rock Kabako will join us from MassInSports.com. That next on The Battle Round. The Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Entry-level officers started over $60,000 and over $64,000 for lateral officers with $10,000 signing bonuses available. Plus, cadets started over $32,000. Great benefits are available like medical, dental, and vision insurance, tuition reimbursement, 15 sick days per calendar year with no limit, career advancement to more than 20 specialized units, and more with further incentives for military service members and veterans. A passion for service, a career for life, with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or call 410-887-5542. Must be a United States citizen, have a valid driver's license and a high school diploma or GED equivalent. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. It's the perfect time to sign the young basketball fan in your life up for a membership in the Retriever Kids Club. It includes free youth admission to all regular season UMBC home games, plus a t-shirt and a drawstring backpack. Membership is only $35. It makes a great gift. Visit umbcretrievers.com slash kids club for more info. Membership is available for kids 12 and under in the Retriever Kids Club. Again, umbcretrievers.com slash kids club. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 1140. Fendel Sportsbook Assistant GM Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 1140, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports Brad Cronthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Thursday, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. Experience the best in Kamado Grilling, a complete outdoor cooking appliance. The Ginsu Kamado Grill allows anyone to sear, grill, bake, and smoke all types of food. Designed for efficiency and function, the Ginsu Kamado Grill upholds the enduring legacy of the iconic Ginsu brand. The Ginsu Kamado Grill is perfect to cook all year round, is great for parties, and ideal for tailgating with your friends. Reserve your Ginsu Kamado Grill today at ginsugrills.com and get $100 off on your pre-order when you use the promo code tailgate that's ginsugrills.com reserve yours today
All right, welcome back to the batter round. Rolling along here today on the show. Um, coming up in just a matter of moments, we have sounding off with Zach Goodman. But I want to remind you, and I know that sports betting came to Maryland back in November, and we've been doing all these offers and these deals. But guys, we need you to gamble responsibly. Don't go out there spending your kids' college fund trying to make a million uh, overnight. It can, gambling can be fun, but you need to set a limit and stay within it. And remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. That's helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. All right, Zach. I know what you got for us. Tell the world what you got for us today on Sounding Off. Yeah, so... The Twins and Marlins made a trade yesterday. We touched on it earlier with Stan. Uh, Pablo Lopez for Luis Arias. And there were two prospects that were thrown in there as well. Um, these are these are Jose Salas and uh, Byron Chirillo. I hope I said those correctly. But a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old. They were the Marlins' number 5 and number 29 prospects, uh, respectively. Uh, I believe according to MLB Pipeline. So these guys are, are not just you know anybody's. They're, they're legit top 30 prospects in an organization. And as far as Salas goes, uh, a pretty good player. But Pablo Lopez and Luis Arias obviously are the two that are kind of the headliners here. Lopez, a guy who uh, you know is, was a 3.3 WAR player last year, th- a guy in the mid three ERA um, level, and a guy who could easily win 10 plus games, uh, you know, in, in the major leagues right now. And then Luis Arias, an All Star, the batting champ. Um, I like this trade a lot for the Minnesota Twins, and not that much for the Miami Marlins. Luis Arias played more games than anyone else, or the, at any other position at first base last year. He played mm-hmm. more games at first base. Um, he can also play second. He can also play third. He can move around. But now you're sticking him at third if you're the Miami Marlins. You've got Gene Segura, who has played second base his entire career, and, and I'm going to mention it, not well. Um, you know, you, you saw in the World Series what G, uh, Gene Segura was able to do. He's not a very good defender at second base. Now he's moving to third really full-time for the first time in his career. I don't know how that's going to go. He's played shortstop, too, a little bit. But Gene Segura is now their starting third baseman. Uh, they just traded Miguel Rojas to uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. So you're obviously now having a, a pretty significant hole at shortstop. And they let Jazz Chisholm know, uh, a guy who's played middle infield for them, over the past uh, two years and, and a top 100 prospect who's who's really blossomed with the bat, not so much with the glove yet, um, that he's going to be moving to center field, a guy who has a ton of speed, ton of range, but really doesn't have much center field experience. So really, what this comes down to is you have a first baseman playing second base, a second baseman playing third base, and a middle infielder playing center field. So you've got three guys who are kind of out of position. And if I'm a Marlins fan, you know, I, giving up Pablo Lopez is okay because you've got Edward Cabrera. You've got other. I mean, Max Meyer is is going to be a superstar you for got them. Johnny Cueto. You got Jesus Lazardo. Sure. You have Lazardo is a great example. You have Trevor Rogers. Tons. Trevor Rogers. You're right. There's there's tons of depth there. So I'm not upset about Pablo Lopez leaving, but I find it odd that they're going with this defensive alignment. I think it's a little bit questionable and I think they're gonna have to win a lot of Marlins fans trust back that these three guys can play this these defensive positions at a you know better than average level um, especially Chisholm in center field you really don't know what you're getting there and I think you do know what you're getting at third base with Gene Segura that's below average defense so I'm a little bit concerned about how this Marlins uh, infield is and outfield as well is really going to shake out and if their defense is going to be good enough for them to be able to compete in that division well yeah look you're concerned but the Marlins really only consist of one fan. So the Marlins fan who was always wearing his orange jersey. Marlins um, man, yeah. Yeah, Marlins yeah. man. So um, 
No, but but in in all seriousness, Arias did play more games at first base last year than any other position, but it was still just 65 games. He yeah. played 41 at second base. For his career, he's played more than twice as many games at second base than any other position. Right, no doubt, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's fine. 985 per, uh, fielding percentage for his career at second base. Negative one um, defensive run saved. Yeah. Doesn't uh, have the best range. Career, but he's going to be fine. They're, they're, they, they, they're more concerned with his bat than they are his defense. Sure. They think his defense will be... Just enough that it won't that he's I mean, not going to hurt you. Don't get me wrong. His bat is excellent. I mean, it, and you want to talk about on-base guys who get their bat on the ball constantly. This is one of those guys. Then you look at Jazz Chisholm moving over to moving to center field from second base. Adam Jones came up as a shortstop and became a, a gold glove winning center field. Like yep. a four-time gold and glove And Chisholm said, he said yesterday, I want to go out and win a gold glove. Yeah, so, he's, he's athletic. Go. He's fast. He's... He's a good guy to put out in center field. I have no, I have no issues with that. Gene Segura, I haven't watched enough of him to know how bad or good his glove <laughs> is. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Um, I'm not a big Gene Segura guy. I like yeah. the bat. I've always liked the bat, but the the glove. I've every time I watch Gene Segura, he makes some weird mistake or makes a play look much harder than it should be. Yeah. No, I I I, I totally get that. For me, I think that. that they kind of killed two birds with one stone there. They, they traded from the, from their uh, from their depth of pitching yep. uh, to acquire somebody that actually ends up in the, giving them another outfielder. Yeah, and th- they were looking for an outfielder. They got it from within because they got somebody to play second base who's a little bit better of a hitter. Um, the AL batting champion, although three sixteen for a batting champion seems low to me. But yeah. um, but last year was an outlier, I think, for offense because of the, the the quick ramp up after the lockout. Sure. Uh, moving Jazz Chisholm, that, that, that you basically uh, killed two birds with one stone in that in that trade yesterday. I don't really have an issue with it. I don't really care about the Marlins. I've <laughs> kind of soured on them ever since they swept the Orioles in the season series. I, actually, in, in 2020, like, they made the playoffs and they weren't good. Mm-hmm. And the Orioles, they, they went, they swept Tampa Bay three games straight and then they immediately got swept four games straight yeah. by the Miami Marlins. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but the Orioles were bad that year anyway. By so, the way, I, I see the batting champion for 23 being a lefty. Given that the, you know, the shift is going away, I could see Freddie Freeman or something hitting 340. You never know. I, I could see Juan Soto. Juan Soto, doing, sure. Although yeah. he's yeah. he's been substandard batting average wise yeah. the yeah. last few years, but the walks are just off the charts. So no, it's it's, it's a good sounding off um, uh, point there because the Marlins are maybe sacrificing defense to get a little bit more offense to go along with their pitching, and they, maybe they're thinking their pitching is so good that the defense might be a little bit secondary, and if they can put up yeah. four and a half to five runs a game. They can contend. It's going to be a long road to hope for them to get back into contention in that NL East when you look at the fact that they're also yep. contending with the Braves, the Phillies, and the New York Mets. Two of those teams which won 101 games, and the other one, oh, by the way, went to the World Series yeah. last year. So good luck, Marlins. Um, I understand what you're doing. Not sure I think it's enough. But Zach's going to get Rock Kabako on the line here in just a moment. want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Press Box's Glenn Clark Radio, which is the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. You can watch the show every weekday from 10 to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports, or you can listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Podcasts are available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Guys, you never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys were off with Glenn on vacation and Griffin rebuilding the Press Box studio, but they'll be back on Monday. And don't forget that every Saturday, you can find the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. 
We do have somebody coming up here next on the bat around. Um, Zach is getting him on the line as we speak, and that's Rockabaco, who has never been on the bat around, but he has been on my uh, former podcast, The Payoff Pitch. Um, really looking forward to talking to Rock today because we have a lot of questions about the Orioles, their offseason, and what they're going to look like moving forward. Uh, we have Rock now? Okay. Joining us on the line from MassInSports.com, he is Rock Gabaco. Rock, good morning. It's Paul. It's Zach. Thanks for taking some time for us today. Sure thing, guys. Uh, so, Rock, I realized the other day when you agreed to come on the show, you've actually never been on the bat around since I've been the host. I don't know if you were ever on with Stan when he hosted the show. You did make an appearance on my podcast, The Payoff Pitch, prior to the COVID season. Uh, but I do want to extend, extend a warm welcome to you. Thanks for joining us for your first time today. Um, hey, you always remember your first time. Let's be honest. Yeah, you, you never you, forget it. Yeah, uh, uh, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> I, got, I hope I, this one goes smoother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, you're, you're killing me already. Uh, let's start with the <laughs> Orioles rotation. Rock Kyle Gibson added. Grayson Rodriguez is expected to start the year on the 26-man roster, and we think Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer did enough to be penciled in. Leaves a competition between Tyler Wells, Austin Voth, D.L. Hall, Mike Bauman, and perhaps even Bruce Zimmerman, unless another starting pitcher is signed or traded for. And this is all before you add in that John Means should be back by midseason. Of those candidates that I just listed, I know there were a lot of them, uh, who would you say has the inside track to be part of this Orioles rotation in 2023? I would think Tyler Wells, they do have, you know, the knowledge that if they needed to move him in the bullpen, he could be very effective. Uh, and he'd be stretched out in camp, so he wouldn't be just a one-inning back-end guy necessarily. So you do have that option. But I think right now, if you had to place the odds, I mean, Wells was their most consistent starter in the first half, and then, of course, the injuries hit. So I would think it's him. But really, it's going to be interesting because it's just going to be a wide-open competition, especially if they don't sign anybody else or trade for somebody. I mean, you, to get a true number one starter, you would have to trade for him now. I mean, there's no one in the free agency now to get Michael Waka, who they've been engaged with for months. He could eventually slot in the number one, but I think at this point it would just be an open competition. And how many times, I know you've probably been a fan for a while now, have they gone to spring training where you've had no idea who the projected opening day starter is? Yeah. Like, as always, it's been John Means, and last year it was Means. You knew Lyles was second, then it was open from there. Or it was Chris Tillman in past years. I mean, we, you just had an idea, Bundy, Gothman, whomever, and now it's like it could be anybody. It may literally be who has the best camp and how they line up those guys, how they want them lined up for the opening series in Boston, and then they go to Texas, and maybe they look at matchups and say we'd rather have these three at Fenway Park and then these guys in Texas. I don't know. It's just, and again, we have to see if, if they do add somebody else. They certainly are still trying. But they could go in so many different directions. D.L. Hall maybe makes the rotation. Or, again, this is somebody that I think rather than optioning them, you would say, well, fine, go to the bullpen, at least for now. We still think he was a starter, but open the year in the pen and be that, that electric arm for an inning or two and really, really strengthen a bullpen because that's going to need to be really good again because you don't know what you're going to get from the rotation, and you may have some guys still on some inning limits, especially Grayson Rodriguez, so you're going to need a really you know, hefty, dependable bullpen. But, so it's, it's really just wide open right now. It's going to be the most interesting story in camp. And, Rock, let's talk a little bit about D.L. Hall. We just had Kyle Glazer from Baseball America on right before you, 
And I asked him if ultimately when it's all said and done, is D.L. Hall a starter or a reliever? And he said he's been a reliever for three years. The, the health and the control issues uh, have reliever written all over him. Are you in that camp? I, I know that you've been reporting for months now that the Orioles still plan to stretch him out as a, as a starter. Are you in the camp that says eventually he ends up just being a reliever? Do you think he can still be a starter and a quality one at that? I think he can be a starter as long as he just becomes more consistent with his command, with his control. And we won't know that now. We have to wait until this thing plays out. There's no way you can predict he's never going to be more of a strike thrower. It's really unfair to label him already. And either way, all these guys pretty much that are starter candidates, you stretch them out, and then they go to the bullpen. That includes both Spencer Watkins, Bruce Zimmerman, whomever. And then if they have to go to the bullpen, that's great. You have you know multi-inning guys. So he will be stretched out. I'd expect him to make starts in camp. But it just gives you the flexibility, depending on how he pitches and how the, the rotation is comprised, that you could go ahead and move him to the pen. I don't think the Orioles at all have given up on him being a starter, but they do also recognize how valuable he could be in a relief role. I just think it's hard right now to put a label on him when he's still you know, this, this young, this stage of his, his career, limited major league exposure. I feel like they'd, they are still thinking with their pitching program and how they've got guys to lower their walk rates. And that happened with Sino Perez and Felix Bautista. The rare occurrences where somebody with high walk rates in the minors actually lower them in the majors. I think they're confident that they can work with DL and get him to do the same. Uh, but, you know, if he isn't able to do that, if he's still a little bit erratic or they feel like he's better just in short bursts, then he ends up in, in the bullpen. But I just think it's too soon to tag him with any labels right now. Well, Rock, and I'm glad that you said that because at AAA, his walk rate was like 5.8. But when he got to the majors, it dropped down to 4.0. And that was with limited time with, with Chris Holt and uh, and Holmes up there. So I think that there's still something to be said for him as a starter. And look, Randy Johnson, big power lefty. He's a Hall of Famer. In his age 26, 27, and 28 seasons, he led the major leagues in walks. And they didn't give up on him. Not saying that D.O. Hall's Randy Johnson, but you're never going to know if you end up putting him in the bullpen before his career really gets started. Moving over... Right, he's had trouble He's had trouble getting rolling, too, because he has had the injuries. He's been shut down, was it seven appearances at Bowie the year before, mm-hmm. and there was something else before that. I think it was oblique that he had to be shut down. There was no 2020 minor league season. So, I mean, he's, it's, he's been stalled because of that. Maybe he'd be further along without all of those issues. So, again, I, I, like I said, I just think it's too soon to, to label him strictly as a reliever. But if that's what he ends up being – and he's a dominant guy in that bullpen for them, they'll take that. Yeah, no, I think either way he's going to have a prominent role with the Orioles before all is said and done. Um, Look, middle of the order bat was, uh, in my opinion, a big priority. You wrote about it uh, during the the season and during the offseason. They went out and they got guys, left-handed hitting DH first base types like Franchi Cordero, Lewin Diaz, Brian O'Hearn, and Nomar Mazzara. They added Adam Frazier to play second base, but none of those guys really fits that mold of a true middle of, the order, middle of the order bat, except for maybe Nomar Mazzara. Were the Orioles in on any of those second-tier guys that we heard about, like a Josh Bell or a Brandon Belt, or did they kind of realize early on in the offseason that it was probably going to be out of their price range to add somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the shopping list was limited if you are you know, prepared to make more of a commitment lengthwise and you know, financially. I know there was interest in Belt, there was interest in Hosmer, uh, there was some interest in Carlos Santana, and once those guys were off the board, they kind of resigned themselves to the fact that, you know, we may just go with who we have in camp. Really, it was for a left-handed hitting backup first baseman slash corner outfield type. I don't know if they were really ever in seriously 
on a big impact middle of the order bat. Now, it was also limited where you could play him. Now, mm-hmm. they did mention that with their flexibility, guys that were able to play multiple positions, that opened things up a little bit. They didn't go into the offseason targeting a specific position necessarily for that. But let's face it, the outfield's fairly set. The infield, especially because they wanted a left-handed bat like Frazier to replace Odor, even if it's in a platoon-type role with the versatility to go the outfield, that was becoming set. And they don't have any place you know, behind the plate. They're set there. So it was like, where are you going to – it's going to have to be a guy who maybe is first base slash D8 slash some corner outfield. So that kind of limited your market a little bit. And, but again, the, the, the really – pricey items the impact guys i think were just out of their reach and maybe we were a little bit surprised by that because we thought they were going to be spending more but we misunderstood what liftoff meant that wasn't about the payroll though it is going up mm-hmm. just organically because of arbitration raises and the guys they did add but it wasn't going to be a significant jump or suddenly they're you know offering you know correa money or whomever like they weren't going to do that right so i I think that they are really counting a lot on guys getting like full healthy and productive seasons from an austin hayes a ryan mountcastle having a full year of adley rutschman having a full year of gunner henderson is huge maybe a full year of kyle stowers and then you know colton Kowser comes up a little later if it's norby whomever and it's more of the in-house guys who are already there or on their way they're going to be impactful in that lineup you mentioned Austin Hayes. You mentioned Kyle Stowers. Austin Hayes was looking like an all-star uh, through June. And then from July on, he fell off a cliff. And we, we, we think it's because even though he, he played all year, uh, never really had an IL stint, he got hit in the wrist like two or three times. His hand got stepped on. You could tell he was laboring and playing through injuries. How much of that was a factor in how poor he was the second half of the season? And what are their plans for him? And what are their plans for Kyle Stowers, who didn't get much run after he got called up for good uh, late in the season? Yeah, I mean, Hayes would never admit, and I've run that by him and other people like in his camp, like was it just because he was playing through injuries? He made that great diving catch along the right field line in Chicago, mm-hmm. right above us, the White Sox series, because we were right down the line for the press box. And again, he, he stayed off the IL, but he was playing hurt, but he won't use that as an excuse. There's just like, you know, he fell into some bad habits. He thought the way he was being pitched, he didn't adjust, things like that. Uh, so, you know, again, the club feels like they're going to be able to get more out of him Health, if he stays healthy and works on those things, the things that he, you know, or he's prone to falling into these slumps, he'll be better. Who knows? But I think he's, you know, the primary left fielder. But I think they also are looking to be able to maybe sit him. And this is also true of Mountcastle against certain unfavorable matchups against right-handers. And if you have that kind of depth where guys can move around, you can go ahead and put somebody else in, in left field. And with Stowers. You know, I, I don't think he's being handed a job. He's got a really good chance to make it as an extra outfielder uh, with Brian McKenna and him on a four-man bench. Or, you know, just some DH opportunities. I mean, that's the thing. The DH spot is really fluid now. So they're going to be nights, a lot of nights, I think, where Santander's the DH. And that could open right field for Stowers. Stowers could be the DH. Santander's going to play some first base, I think. So that opens up. So I think there's air, room to get Stowers in the lineup, and then that's just assuming he makes the club out of camp. I guess if he hits 060, maybe he doesn't, but <laughs> assuming he earns the job, and then it's a matter of whether he holds on to it or not. Eventually, it's going to get crowded because we do expect Hauser to come up, mm-hmm. and that's another outfielder, and that's a very pleasant problem to have. If you have to find room, and if they're 
you know, a, a really disappointing at the break, then maybe they go ahead and move somebody. I know that Hayes in the past has drawn trade interest, but you would be selling low right now with him. And I think they're just looking instead, well, we'll hold on to him and hope that we get more out of him. He's a toolsy guy. He's pretty much got it all. Plays a good left field, which is important to Camden Yards. But they just need to get a full, consistent season out of him, and he hasn't been able to do that for a variety of reasons. Yeah, he, he's put together good halves, whether the first half or the second half, but never a full season. And Hopefully he can do something about that this coming season. Same thing with Kyle Stowers. I'd like to see him get a little bit more run, but it's up to him. Um, now, the Orioles also have a similar problem in their infield. We know Gunnar Henderson is going to be an everyday player, whether it's a third base or shortstop. Right now, uh, assuming that they have, just because they haven't made a trade to this point, it looks like Gunnar's going to be your everyday third baseman and Mateo is going to play shortstop, but you also have Ramona Rios, who just won a gold glove at third base, didn't make an error at second base, had the highest hard hit percentage of the Orioles this past season. Do you think a trade is coming for one of these infielders? I can't imagine having a player like Ramona Rios and not having him play every day. I know you can platoon, but isn't there something to be said for having somebody be comfortable uh, playing one position? Yeah, and I think the Orioles certainly, from my understanding, are open to if they're going to trade from the major league roster as opposed to uh, you know, the prospects in AAA, for example, or AA, to get, let's say, a frontline starting pitcher, they certainly would be willing to include an infielder and it would be a Mateo or Urias because Gunnar Henderson is a conversation stopper. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, you, as soon as somebody asks about him, you basically hang up the right. phone. So, you know, but one of those two guys and there are teams out there looking for middle infielders if, with the right offer. And you may have to obviously package on if you get number one starter for either one of those guys, but you mm-hmm. package them, you know, they, they would certainly be open to doing that. But also when I've written this, they also like the idea of what they have right now, having, you know, a couple guys from the left side with, uh, with uh, Gunner, you know, left side of the plate with Gunner and Frazier. And then you have Mateo, Urias from the right side. I mean, they, they like that mix and they'll figure out ways to, again, with Urias is probably going to play a lot of second base if he's still in the club while Frazier either sits or gets starts in, in the corner outfield. And he can be, Reese can move all around the infield, but it really does look like Gunner for now is the third baseman, which I've said, I wondered how many times a guy won a gold glove at a position and then moved to another one. Right. So I found out it's not that unusual. I had written about it, but still a little odd, but you know, Urias's versatility is an asset for the club, but they do like being able to move him around. And, you know, Mateo won the fielding Bible award a short and what should have been at least a finalist for a gold glove. So they're not it. pushing to get rid of him as a shortstop and, you know, led the league in stolen bases. And they feel like he had that great, like 31, game spurt or whatever like where his bat mm-hmm. really came to life and then lost it again i'm sure they feel like all right something's in there we'll tap into it we can get more out of him and if not he's a plus defender with really good speed at the bottom of the lineup and they'll take that so uh, at this point yeah he looks like he's still the shortstop and they really would prefer not putting gunner on the right side even though he could i think brandon hyde made that clear at the winter meetings that he felt bad that he started him when he did at second because he felt like that was just a, putting a lot on him, especially when it was relatively new for him to play on that side. Really would like to keep on the left side. If you still have Mateo, that leaves third base, and he is a plus defender at third. Certainly that arm plays at third, and maybe he kind of takes that Cal Ripken pass, you know, where eventually yeah. he does move to shortstop, but he starts out being a third baseman. Or Manny Machado, same idea. You know, you start out at third, and eventually – 
when the spot opens, maybe later this summer, maybe by next season, he's your shortstop. Well, yeah, and those are a couple of good comparisons. If you're going to compare somebody to the players, Cal Ripken and Manny Machado ain't half bad. Uh, look, Rock, it's going to be an exciting season, maybe even more exciting than last year. Looks like Brandon Hyde's going to have a lot of roster, roster and lineup flexibility with the players that he has on the roster and the players that are knocking on the door. So, so it certainly should be an exciting season for you to cover the Orioles. We know you're a busy guy. Thank you so much for taking some time for us here on Saturday morning. Hey, glad to do it. Have a good day. All right, have a good one. See you. That was Rock Abaco from MassInSports.com joining us. And Rock is super busy. I'm, I've been bugging him for three years to come on the show, and he just couldn't do it. And finally, his bosses gave him the thumbs up to do the show. So yeah. I'm glad that he was yep. able to do it. He was supposed to be my opening day guest on the payoff pitch in 2020. And then the guys over at Utah Street Report wanted to go in a different direction. I was working here doing the, the, um, the bat around as the producer. And then ultimately we were out of work for three months because of COVID. So, um, and then when we came back, Mass and kind of put the kibosh on guys doing anything other than the local, like 105.7 fan and local television and stuff like that. So glad that Rock was finally able to be freed up to come on the show and hopefully we'll get to talk to him again down the line this season. We're certainly going to try. Um, we're going to catch our final break. Uh, when we come back in, we're going to do some Orioles trivia. We're going to do some final thoughts, but first we will do Orioles banter. That next on the Batter Round. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at royal farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world real fresh real fast royal farms the latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit and stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Looking for some excitement in the new year? Laurel Park has plenty of live horse racing events to spice things up this January. The much-anticipated winter meet kicks off on January 1st, plus we've got special MLK Holiday Racing on Monday, January 16th, and the Winter Carnival Stakes on Saturday, January 21st. Winter may be cold, but the racing at Laurel Park is hot. Learn more about upcoming January events by visiting laurelpark.com. 
Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around. Another great show today. Special thanks again to Kyle Glazer from Baseball America and Rockabaco from MassInSports.com for taking some time on the show for us this morning. It is time for Orioles base Orioles baseball. I wish it was time for Orioles, <laughs> it's Orioles baseball. baseball. It's time for Orioles banter. Uh, we've entitled this one "Prospects Galore," but before we get to the prospects, I do want to talk a little bit about Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah. Um, Stan is very low on Ryan Mountcastle. And, and look, with, with reason, right? Yeah. He led the team in strikeouts last year. Um, he hit about 250. The on-base percentage is super low. And this was a guy who was a first, he's a former first-round pick who absolutely dominated the minors. And if he ever struggled at a level, he came out at that same level the next year and dominated. Uh, he was a, in his final minor, full minor league season, all he did was win the International League AAA MVP. Um and then he came out as a rookie in 2020, and he hit 333 with five home runs, and he had like a 380-something on base percentage. You're like, Ryan Mountcastle's legit. And you saw the hand speed, the, ba- the barrel-to-ball skills, and you're like, this guy's going to be special. And then in 2021, uh, his full rookie season, where he got credited as still a rookie, um, and he won the Player's Choice Rookie of the Year, he led... All Major League rookies with 33 home runs set a new franchise record. He drove in 89, and this is after he started out hitting like 190 in April with no home runs. Or I'm sorry, I think he hit one home run. He was not productive his first month of the 2021 season, and he still hit 33 home runs and drove in 89. Got off to a hot start this this past season. In June, he was in June he hit like 290, 10 home runs, like 26 RBIs. He was really good. And then just like Austin Hayes, he got in some bad habits and he fell off a cliff, although he started to come back on in August and September, the second half of August. Ryan Mountcastle's expected batting average was 277. His expected on-base percentage was like in the 320s or 330s. He hit into some of the worst luck of anybody in baseball last year. Uh, the wall had something to do with it. Maybe he altered his swing a little bit. Look, he had the highest average exit velocity of over 93 miles per hour uh, of anybody on the Orioles last year. He had the highest average distance on his home runs of 407 feet. The guy makes consistent hard contact. He's got good bat-to-ball uh, bat skills, good barrel ability. I think he is a huge bounce-back candidate. Now, look, he might not hit 33 home runs just because of that monster in left field, right? But if he... I, I think this is a year where Mountcastle comes out and hits between 270 and 290. He's going to show the power. I think he's going to hit a lot of doubles. And I look to, at Ryan Mountcastle to really prove that he belongs in the middle of this Orioles order. The the um, pitch recognition has and the swing decisions has got to get... There's no getting around that. It's got to get better. You can't be swinging at pitches that are six inches above the top of your helmet. You can't. And he did that on more than one occasion this past year. You cannot get yourself out 
when there are guys on base. Make them pitch to you. And that's, again, why I wanted a middle-of-the-order guy to be added to this lineup so that he has a little bit more protection. So, like, you know what? we got to pitch to him because if we walk him, we don't want to face this guy. You didn't do that. And I think that that's, that, that could hurt Mountcastle. But I trust him as a hitter enough to think that he's never going to be a big walk guy. He's never going to have a 350 on base percentage. But if he can hit 280 and get on base at a 320 clip, he's going to hit in the middle of the Orioles' order for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think after his rookie year, regression was kind of imminent because mm-hmm. it is for a lot of guys. They come out, and then the league figures them out the year uh, you know, the year after. And I think that happened to Malcastle in, in, in some respects, but I also think the wall had a really big um, you know, degree of of change for him. It really cha- it changed a lot. Right, mentally, uh, what he was able to do. I mean, if you hit a ball now, you know, 310, 320 feet, it could turn into an out. It could be a double. You don't really know what it is. Before you were more likely for that to be a home run. So there's a lot of things that have changed. Well, not 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 three ten three twenty. I don't remember it's, the exact it's, dimensions. It's three thirty three down the line. It was three thirty three. Okay, so three thirty three. Then we'll use for example. It, it's going. It changed now, and that's something that he had to deal with. And again, like you said, mentally. I know Trey Mancini said it affected him mentally, and I I, I can't imagine Ryan Malcastle's any different. So especially being a younger player right. so early in his career, and with all those factors, you know, you combine the sophomore slump that a lot of guys end up having in the league, probably figuring out where Ryan Malcastle, um, you know, doesn't really like being pitched to, and and the pitches he doesn't like seeing. There's a lot of factors that go into that imminent regression that I talked about. So I think you know now that that regression happened, and he can go back and figure things out, and then he can get right mentally, and he can you know start to. Um, you know, figure out what pitches that he really didn't hit very well um, in 2022. He can come out in 2023 and improve upon that. And um, you know, there, there were, like you said, a lot of bad swing decisions. The on-base percentage has got to get better, and I think he'll do all that. Um, it's not going to be a drastic change. I don't think he's going to go anywhere to like a 350 OBP or something crazy like that. But if he brings up his OBP up by 10 or 15 points, you're looking at a much better player and a much more significant uh, middle order bat. And, and here's the thing with Ryan Mountcastle. With a guy like him, I am less concerned, and this is going to sound weird, but I'm less concerned with on-base percentage Simply because of the fact that if he hits 280, he's going to be productive. Well, I think you're right, because we know he's not an OBP guy first and foremost. That's mm-hmm. not his goal. That's not what he goes out there to do. He's out there to hit home runs. Right. He's he's going to hit in the middle of your order. Uh, and if he hits 280, that means he's probably going to hit between 20 and 30 home runs. Yeah. He's probably going to hit between 30 and 40 doubles. He's going to drive him between 80 and 100 runs. And that's really all I, I care about with Ryan Mountcastle. If, if, he wa- if he's hitting the six hole and he walks to get to Kyle Stowers or Adam Frazier or Austin Hayes. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, all right. I'd rather you come up there and hit a home run. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm less concerned with his on-base percentage because of where I expect him to hit and what I expect him to do with the bat. And and look, and if if he hits 280, the on-base percentage is going to be there respectively. Respectively. It's not going to be, like you said, 340-350. But 280 for Mountcastle means it's probably 315, 320. Right. No, definitely. And I guess my expectations for Mountcastle are a little bit inflated. And I think that is probably a lot of people have watched this team for the past few years because you saw what he did in AAA. AAA MVP, uh, or in an International League MVP, I should say. Um, and then, again, that 333 batting average that he had in 2020, you got really high on Ryan Mountcastle. I think you did, I did, we all did. Um, and I think for Stan, especially when he talks about where he is with Mountcastle now, and he's so far down... I think it's a little bit of recency bias for all of us that we look at Mountcastle and we say, okay, 
didn't really have that great of a 2022. I think we have to, again, look back at what he's done in, in those previous years, 2020, and then, of course, and what he did in the minor leagues, especially AAA. He's a better hitter than he was. And like you mm-hmm. said, the metrics show, the advanced metrics show that he can get back to being what he was in the minors in 2020. Yeah, the, the metrics, the, the peripherals show that last year, should have been a, a break, lot better uh, year, a yeah. lot better, potentially a yeah. breakout year for him. The the walk rate went up, the strikeout weight yeah. rate went down. Not not a lot in either category, but they still went in the right yeah. direction. Uh, the expected on base percentage, the expected bat, uh, batting average, the expected production yeah. was all far higher than what he actually did. Yep. So yep. we expect you know in baseball. You kind of are, you kind of come back to who you are at some point. So we expect some of those balls that didn't land for him last year to land for him this year. What I really hope that they did down in Sarasota, and I don't know if they did or not, what I really hope they did is that they changed the dimensions yeah. of the practice field because yep. <clears throat> they had the Camden Yards field um, down in Sarasota, and they changed the dimensions at Camden Yards but not at the spring training facility. I would expect they didn't because they had that whole bar area in left mm-hmm. field, so I, I wouldn't expect No, no, that, that's, that's the main field. That's Ed Smith. That, that, oh, that, you, okay. That, I'm talking it. about that they have, they have every minor league team, had, uh, minor league team, every major league team, yep. their spring A training replica. facilities have like eight different uh, yep. full-size baseball diamonds, and one of them is a replica of the big I didn't big know that's what you yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that their replica field, if they change it to mirror, to, to be what Camden Yards is now, to... That's important for your for your right-handed hitters. Oh, yeah. It's important for your outfielders, especially with the wind down there. Yeah. And if you can hit well on that field down in, in in February in March down in Sarasota with all that wind down there, it bodes well for you coming up to Camden Yards, especially when you get to the to the summer months. No doubt. So I, I hope that they did that for the sake of their right-handed hitters. I know they want to go with a lot of lefties. They want a lot of lefty bats for this ballpark. But some of your better hitters are still going to be right-handed. So here's something I'd like to see Ryan Mountcastle improve on in 23, and that's going the other way. You know, you look at, look, take J.D. Martinez, for example. We've talked about him on the show and how he, a lot of his home runs are the other way. Mm-hmm. And that's why he would fit so well into Camden Yards. I would like to see Ryan Mountcastle, a guy who's here for his bat, a guy who's here to be in the middle of the order, be able to go the other way and stop pulling the ball as much as he does. Because you are, I mean, right field, you see Austin Hayes, Trey Mancini, those kind of guys did that last year, where they were able to go the other way and spray the ball for a home run to right field. And that's probably an easier avenue right now than it is the left field. So I'd like to see Ryan Mountcastle improve upon that. Man. J.D. Martinez is another guy I really wanted here. And he took, he took less money to go yeah. to the Dodgers. Um, but it makes sense, right? I yeah. mean, you're a Dodger, so. Yeah, I, I, I get it. But yeah, I, I, I'm... And the thing is, I I already like Ryan Mountcastle's ability to go to the opposite field. Mm-hmm. When he's on, and, and people used to say this about Chris Davis all the time, but but when, when Ryan Mountcastle's on, he hits with authority to right field. I've seen him hit some monstrous home runs. I'm going to look up his splits on where he to, hit the ball last year. He, he I, I remember on opening day um, 2021... He hit a home run, uh, the home opener. It was his only home run in the month of April. He hit a home run to right field. He hit about 118 miles an hour off the bat, and it was a shot. It got out yeah. quick. Yeah. He has really good power to the opposite field. I'd like to see him. And, and the thing is, you see him strike out on that low and away slider. It, it plagued Adam Jones throughout his career, too. Yep. You see Mountcastle strike out on that low and away slider a lot, and sometimes it's not even close to the plate. And his approach to that slider if you can't lay off of it, I'd like to see you take an opposite field approach to that right. rather than try and pull everything that comes to you. Right, wait on it and poke it. Yep. Right, and, and I don't need him to poke. If he just, if, well. if, if, if he just takes that opposite field approach on that, 
he can drive the ball with authority. I, I, I would love to see a lot of those sliders turn into sharp line drives down the right field line. So if you look at his metrics from 2022, he pulled the ball at a 32.1% rate, hit straight at a 37.5% rate, and went oppo at a 30.4%. So, um, considerably Close. less it's not too far away it's actually an improvement because in 2021 he only went up at a 28.4 percent mm-hmm. rate um which is i would say on the lower side of things for a lot of guys um so he, he it did a little bit better than i thought he did but it's still you know again you really want to see him doing more of that considering that camden yards is so difficult now in left field he he's realistically let's say he had how many at bats last year uh let me pull that up i i would say it looks like he had hold on, hold on, sorry, I'm having trouble finding it. Uh, six hundred nine. Is that at bats or plate appearances? That is plate appearances. Five hundred fifty-five at bats. Five five hundred fifty-five at bats. Where yeah. where he um and probably and certainly four hundred at bats um where he didn't strike out, where mm-hmm. he put the ball in play. So if you're looking at four hundred at bats, which means he probably hit a just uh, just about 120 to 125 balls to left field. Mm-hmm. Um, you said it was 37 percent to center field. 37 percent. 37 percent. So probably about 130, 135 yeah. to center field, and probably about 115, 110 to 100, maybe 100 to 115 to right field. He's really not that far off from being considered, in my opinion, being considered a spray hitter. Yeah, I mean, you, you I, I guess you consider him that. I, I would like to know how Statcast takes this you know what, mm-hmm. what what do they consider left field in camden yards because if you're considering it only about halfway down the big wall that they have part of center field would be included in that too that's an excellent point that, that that's an excellent point um yeah what do they consider the gaps i, I don't know yeah that's they yeah. don't really show that they yeah. just uh look I, I think ryan mountcastle has a potential to be a complete hitter um now if you include in that the ability to get on base Maybe he's not a complete hitter, but as far as his when he when he makes contact, I think he can be really really good. Um, it's up to him to do that. I expect him to get better. And we also have to take into account with a lot of these guys that they only had three weeks of spring training last year. They got three weeks of spring training, and then they had to get into the season. The batting average and the on base percentage were some of the lowest in the history of baseball yeah. last year. So full off season, full spring training. I expect a lot of these guys to perform at a higher level in 2023. I'm so excited for this year, man. I like it, it's just you look at what the Orioles have, what they have coming, the pitching, which I think is going to be a lot stronger in the rotation than people are giving them credit for. I, this could be a, a really fun year. Do I think they're going to the World Series? No, but MLB.com thinks that they're going to go to the World Series in 2024 they do. and lose to the Mets, and then they think they're going to win the World Series over the Dodgers in 2028. Yeah. They're one of only three teams that um, MLB.com has in the World Series twice yeah, in the next and, 10 years. And that projection shows off the, the longevity that everyone mm-hmm. expects them to have. Um, you know, MLB is probably going off of the MLB pipeline rankings, given that mm-hmm. they're all the same organization. Um, and the Orioles have fared very well there. They've obviously fared very well in, in Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus. All of the, the big publications right now are saying that this is the top farm system of baseball and that they're going to keep producing these guys over a length of time. Um, you know, Jackson Holiday is a guy you certainly do not have to rush. And when he arrives, whenever that is in 24 or 25, then you're just adding another piece. And I'm sure they'll continue to add more of those pieces uh, from the drafts that they have this year and next year. And that's going to continue to go um, and continue to, to keep 
coming um, for, for the Orioles, and that's a that's a really good thing. Yeah, and, and look, Jackson Holiday, you're right. You don't have to rush him, but he might be one of those guys who forces your hand. He might, you know, like Machado uh, did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, and and you know. You said the reason that the Orioles' future looks so bright is because of the prospects. And again, they have eight prospects rated in Baseball America Top 100 as well as Baseball Prospectus. Nine players represented overall. Uh, and let's go down this list, okay? We'll start it. We're going to use Baseball America's Top okay. 100 since we had Kyle Glazer on the show today. And that was the first one that came out. And we'll start at number one. Gunnar Henderson. He's going to be an everyday player. What are our expectations for him this year? Is he going to be an all-star this year? Is he going to be one of those guys who's a really solid player but is probably stronger the second half? I don't think he'll be an all-star. I, I think that's maybe a little bit of a stretch. Um, also, given that fan voting kind of throws all of yeah. that off, um, Adley Rutschman, I think, will probably get voted in, but Gunner's not quite as big of a name as Rutschman has become. Um, I, I could see a slash line around 260, 338, um, and then a slugging percentage. I'm not sure where he's going to be. I don't know really what to expect as far as the power goes, but it could easily be 400, uh, 410. See, for for me, I think the batting average is probably right about where yeah. where where he's going to be. I think the on base percentage is going to be higher. Okay, I think he's got an elite eye. 348 uh, last uh, year, uh, right? And, and that was playing the last month and that, the last what was it? Six weeks of the season, like five, that, yeah. five, six yeah. weeks of the season as a true rookie who was the youngest player in all of baseball yeah. at that point. Um, I think with a full off season as a big leaguer, um, and and you know the work ethic. You saw him. He one of the one of the things he said a few weeks ago in an interview that I absolutely loved is um, your best ability is availability. He takes his body very seriously. He takes his training very seriously, um, and he went from. About what? What was it? Like a three forty, three fifty on base percentage guy in twenty twenty one to a four hundred on base yeah, percentage guy yeah. in twenty twenty two. Which would be outstanding. Mean, he won't be there, but that's outstanding. Yeah, it, it was. It, this is a guy who looks at his weaknesses and tries to make them strengths. And I, I look at that and look. I don't think Gunnar Henderson's going to come out and hit three twenty with forty home runs this year. No. Do I think he's going to hit 260 to 270 with a 360 on base percentage and hit 25 home runs? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's going to do yeah. that, and I think he's going to win Rookie of the Year. I I, I think he's the, the, the front runner for Rookie of the Year in the American League. Um, I just think that this kid's too special, and I think that his work ethic is too is too great for him to fail. I expect a big year uh, for a rookie out of Gunnar Henderson. Number six, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, since I let you go first with Gunnar, I'll go first with Grayson. Uh, Grayson, I think, is probably going to get 25 to 30 starts. I'm expecting his innings to be between 130 and 150. I think he's going to be um, his innings are going to be limited to start the year. I think maybe a little bit better than Tyler Wells this past season, but you have to remember he missed two and a half months with that lat injury. Um, so I look at Grayson Rodriguez to pitch 25, 30 starts, about 100, and, we'll say 135 innings this year. I think his ERA is going to be around 3637 when it's all said and done. I think he's, the, the bumps are going to come early, and I think he's going to really lock in, especially the second half of the year. Yeah, I guess my projections are a little more conservative. I think, I told you this before, but I think he's going to kind of end up in that 18 to 23 start range as opposed to 25 to 30. Um, I, I think there will be a little less because the Orioles will kind of want to ease him in. I think he could get some relief appearances, especially to start the year. Uh, but I do expect to see a healthy dose of him at the Major League level. I do think what Kyle Glazer said was important, that you've got to kind of limit your expectations. Max Scherzer, it took him really six years to become the mm-hmm. pitcher that he is. And I think it, I, I don't know if it's going to take Grayson Rodriguez six years. I really hope not. I really doubt that because that would mean he's not an Oriole um, if it happens after six years. But 
I, I do think that he will be productive this year. I could see somewhere around like a four and a half ERA, um, maybe a FIP that's around four eight, four nine, uh, because the defense is is pretty good in Baltimore now. I, I like his chances of becoming a reliable and, and good starter for the Orioles. I don't think he's going to blow anyone away, but I think he'll be a, he'll have a solid rookie season. Yeah, uh, if his if his ERA is four and a half. Um People's hair is going to be on fire, which in, for in, no in, reason in, in in Baltimore. But and again, you have to temper expectations, right? And, and I totally get that. And maybe three six three seven is a little lofty um, for my expectations. But I I think this kid's special. It's really possible. I mean, he uh, he's dominated everywhere he's been. Yeah, I I I, I it, he has. Uh, but we've talked about on the show numerous times the gap between AAA and the majors huge. is huge. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a huge gap. And only gap. growing, really. Yeah. So um, there's going to be bumps in the road, but I think that you're going to see a really nice... I mean, we saw what Kyle Paradish did his yeah. last 13 starts. I think you can expect something similar from Grayson Rodriguez um, the second half of the season. If Braddish did that, Grayson Rodriguez can do that. Um, Jackson Holiday... Um, Kyle Glazer's probably correct because he got a, he got a cup of coffee at the at Low A. He'll probably start the year at Low A. Yep. Um, yep. I expect him to. I don't know how quick of a start he's going to get off to, but I expect him to make it pretty apparent within the first month or two of the season. He should probably be at Aberdeen. Um, so for me, Jackson Holiday, go out there, show that you're the, there was a reason you were the number one overall pick. Work your way up to Bowie. And um, put yourself in the Orioles' plans sooner rather than later. When I say that, I mean late 2024, early 2025. Yeah. I don't, nothing this year. Um, I think J- Jackson Holiday is is a player that's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I think this is the the hardest projection because we really haven't seen much of him. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't been, you know, really anywhere that we can see him personally yet. So. I think until I see him and get a better idea of who he is as a player, I mean, obviously the, the expectations are lofty, and we, we've read what we have in Baseball America and, and MLB Pipeline, and obviously they're, everyone's very excited about what this kid is. I'd like to see him more before I make a, a really big projection about what he's going to do this year, but I think getting to AA is, is a pretty solid uh, goal for him, and that's probably the goal he has set out for himself. I don't think really he has a possibility of AAA this year, mm-hmm. but if he performs, uh, if he gets on base, if the power's there, he'll move up quick, and he'll, he'll be a, a really exciting piece to watch. Uh, number 41, Colton Kalzer. Um, you go ahead with, with Kalzer. Yeah, I mean, I love Kalzer. I mean, he's he probably is my favorite player um, not in the major leagues so far for the Orioles. He's a guy who, we've talked about it a million times on the show, that gets on base, is uh, a guy, the bat stays in the zone for a really long time. He's going to make a ton of contact. Hopefully the power comes. I could easily see him being like a 12 to 14 home run a year guy. Um, if he puts up similar numbers to Nick Markakis, I think everyone would be really pleased. And he's kind of like Nick Markakis in a lot of ways. going to play good corner outfield defense. Or if he ends up in center field and takes over uh, for Cedric Mullins, I have lofty expectations for him. Uh, the on-base percentage, I could easily see being 350, 360 this year. Going to bat probably 280, 275. Um, and again, that 12 to 14 home run range. So, Are you talking I, about at the minor league or major league level? Uh, I think a combination of both. I think he's going to play a little bit of uh, start off in AAA, but by June or July, I think he's going to be pushing pushing the Orioles, uh, um, the envelope, I guess is the word for it, um, and really trying to make that major league appearance. So I think he's going to have kind of a, a season in, in both leagues. So I, I look at Colton Kalzer, and we talked about Connor Norby and Joey Ortiz earlier this year, and they both hit the ground running when they got to AAA. Yeah. Colton Kalzer did not. Uh, Colton Kalzer yeah. got off to a slow start. The bat came on towards the end of the year, but when he got to AAA, 
a little bit of a slow, a little bit of a slow build up there for him. Uh, I expect him to start the year at AAA. Um, I think that it's really going to depend on he and Austin Hayes. In my in, in my yeah. opinion, when he gets here, if Austin Hayes gets off to the start that he got off to last year, people aren't going to be talking about Colton Kowser. Right. If la- the second half of last year bleeds into the first half of this year, and Kowser's down a AAA tearing it up. You're gonna hear conversations in late May, early June. People will be calling on Kowser immediately. Yeah, like that, that's just generally how this fan base likes to likes to do exactly. Things. So Colton Kowser, for me, I think he's a really good hitter. Yeah, I don't think he's a big powerful guy, but no. I think he's a really good hitter. I think that, I think you'll probably see him hit between 280 and 300. Yeah, at at AAA, and then I think he'll get to the major leagues this year. And I think that I don't think he's taking Cedric's job. I think he's getting to the majors and he'll yeah. play a corner outfield spot. I think they're gonna hit him lower in the order. And I can realistically see him hitting probably about 250 sure. with a 340 on base percentage yep. um, once he makes his debut. I think the, the bigger expectations start to come in 2024 for Colton Kowser. But just him getting here in his second pr- full season uh, it would be a big deal. Yep. And uh, that's what I expect. I think that's what everybody expects for Colton Kowser. I, I don't think that he's going to be a difference maker, but I think he's going to be solid to start his big league career. Uh, D.L. Hall already got the cup of coffee with the Orioles. His last 13 uh, and a third innings, he had like a 165. He had, he had a, like a 113 ERA. Uh, the ERA for the regular season was like 593, but a 165 fielding independent pitching for D.L. Hall. Um, Kyle Glazer thinks he's been he's had reliever written all over him for three years. Rock seems to think, and he has the inside uh, intel with the Orioles. Um, he believes that the Orioles still view him very much as a starter. I think he's going to start the year AAA in their rotation, um, and then I, I, it's up to him. It's up to him. I, right. I have no idea how to project him because I thought that he was going to be gangbusters last year in the minors, and there he had a really nice stretch there. He did really nice, like eight start stretch where he was off the charts phenomenal and then he gave up like six or seven runs two out of the next three starts so for me D.L. Hall God I really hope that he limits the walks I really hope that he proves that he belongs in and I think he proved at the end of last year coming out of the bullpen that he he belongs but I hope he proves he belongs as a starting pitcher he's got an ego and when I say I don't mean that in a bad way he believes himself he's very confident not I don't think arrogant I think he's confident and I think that he's a guy who is going to challenge himself to force the Orioles to put him in their opening day rotation. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think that we see D.L. Hall, and we're going to see him in one form or another at the big league level. I hope it's as a starter, but I honestly, I have no idea how to call this right now. I, I tend to agree with Kyle Glazer that he's had starter or he's had reliever written all over him for a little while. Um, the starting thing just hasn't really worked out in a sense that he hasn't really been able to he's gain 22. that. I know, 100%. And I, I'm giving him the shot. And I've said before that I, I fully would give him the starts in AAA and let him work it out and see where he, you know, see where he gets from there. I think there's upside for him, a ton of upside. Um, I do believe in him more as a reliever, but I'm willing to keep an open mind and see where he goes. Um, I certainly don't want to write him off. Like like Rakubako said, it's really, really hard to put a label on a guy that young and say, oh, well, he's going to be this. You, I, I'm predicting that, but I'm definitely not going to say it's a definitive. All right. Um, and we're going to lump these next uh, three guys together just because we're running short on time here. Number six, 76, Jordan Westberg. Number three, Connor. No- number 93, Connor Norby. And number 95, Joey Ortiz. Yep. Um, I think 
all of these guys have an opportunity to play the big league level yep. this year. I also think all these op- all of these guys have an opportunity to get traded this year. Yeah, um, also true. Look, Adam Frazier is going to have a lot of say in what happens here in one of maybe three ways. Either he's 2022 Adam Frazier, and they can't justify continuing to put him out there, even though they justified Ruth Neto Door last year. They sure did. Um, number two... He's going to be so good. He's going to be back to the 2021 and prior Adam Frazier to the point where it's like this is our everyday second baseman. We right. got to we got to play him every day. I don't know how much run he's going to get in the court. I think that might be something they do in April and then not again yeah. with the corner outfield spots. Or number three, he's going to be so good that he's a trade chip. They trade him, and that's when they call up a guy like Westberg, Norby, or Ortiz. I also. To me, I think Ortiz gets a crack at shortstop before yep. these other guys because if Mateo is still that bad offensively, you can't justify batting him ninth. Yeah. He has to become a utility guy for you. A defensive, re- Not even a defensive replacement. The guy who you start once or twice a week at, sh- at, at shortstop, a guy you can plug in the outfield, a guy you can pinch run with. If the offense is as bad as it was the majority of last year, you got to make a move there at shortstop, and I think that move would be Joey Ortiz because of the glove. Um, and then... Norby and Westberg, those guys, one of those guys gets a, a, a good bit of run this year, and yep. I think one of those guys is getting traded. Well, I think Westberg would get more run than Norby. I think if we see Norby, it's going to be more towards the end of the year, August, September. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're going to want to see more full year and hit from him in the minors and see what he can do. Uh, but I do think Michael Elias has used this term before, early and often. I think we're going to see Joey Ortiz early and often. I think we're going to see a lot of him in April and May, um, just because the Orioles don't really have that shortstop position really locked down. And like you said great chance one of these guys could get traded I have a lot of hope that Jordan Westberg can can limit the strikeouts and put up the power numbers that he has in the minors 27 home runs I think it was last year uh combined levels so I I think all these all three of these guys have upside I'm probably the biggest fan of Norby and most excited to see him but I think he'll be the last guy we see his bat I like the most out of all of them I think that Jordan Westberg is because of his defensive versatility and his athleticism is maybe the more well-rounded Complete, player. I agree. But I think the guy that ha- ends up having the better career offensively is Connor Norby. Yep. And then Joey Ortiz, I think eventually, at worst, becomes a utility infielder on a really good ball club. Exactly. Um, And, and at best, maybe not an all-star, but a solid everyday shortstop. I think we see eye to eye there. Yeah. 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 Yep. All right. Uh, let's move on to trivia. Zach, you have a question for. I'm a little nervous. Zach said this is a jersey number I, question. I wanted to do a jersey number one um, because you did one for me and I wanted to give one to you. So it's a guy we talked about a lot today, Ryan Malcastle. He currently wears number six. Can you name every player since 2000 to wear number six? No, I cannot. Well, you can name a few. I guarantee. Uh, Melvin Mora. Melvin H- Mora. How many are there? Uh, so I didn't actually count them up, but I was just going to go. Is off it a of, lot? Uh, it's a it's a good number. It's probably about seven. Seven. Okay. Um, so so Melvin Moore wore it from two thousand to uh, two thousand nine. Nine. But yeah. I will I will say that just because Mora did that in those years doesn't mean other guys didn't wear it before he came to Baltimore. Um, I'm gonna say, well, obviously Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope did it from two thousand thirteen to two thousand eighteen. For some reason. Brooke Fordyce is sticking out to me. He's not on my list. There are, by the way, um, two more recent ones before Ryan Mountcastle and after Jonathan Scope. David Lowe? David Lowe, war number nine. Okay. Um, so did Nate McClouth. Correct, yeah. yeah. And McClouth would have been in the era, I believe, of Scope, so... Um, um, you kind of have to cut out those playoff teams for the. Yeah, Orioles. Scope didn't get here until 2013. McCloud right. was here in 2012 and and 2013. Um, but there is one. I will say this: there is one for every single year. 
There is one for every. We're not missing year. any years in here. All right, Cesaris Torres was number three. Um, David Newhan. No, sir. Number six. Chances are, if you wore number six, he's an infielder. One of them I definitely expect you to get because you've mentioned him in Oriole on our Orioles family feud uh, with Ryan a few times. So he's a guy you definitely know, um, and a guy who was, I guess, a favorite of yours. I don't know, but this was more of a 2010s guy, but before Jonathan Scope. Huh. Dude, I am drawing a blank. I'm. Yeah, I'm, these are tough. These are really. I, tough. I'm really bad with jersey numbers. Like some numbers, I'm I'm good with. Other numbers, I'm really bad with. Um, what was that guy's name? <laughs> um, he was a pretty good. I can't remember. I can start giving out some hints if you want. Yeah, to. Let, let's okay. get some hints. So in 2019, there was a Rule Five pick who wore number six. 2019 Rule Five pick. Was it? Drew Jackson? It was Drew Jackson. Okay, Drew Jackson. So you got one more. Okay. Um, How many do I have left? So the guy that I'm talking about that you brought up in Orioles trivia played for the Orioles uh, in 2006, 2007, and 2010, if that gives you any uh, any hints here. So I, he did not wear this number in 2006 oh, and Oh, 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 oh. Um, Danny Valencia. It was Well, Danny Valencia uh, is... Not on this list. I thought he was. No, he's not on this list. Okay. 06, 07, and then 2010. I think Valencia wore three, by the way. Oh, si- he wore a couple numbers. Yeah, he did. 06, 07. Yep, in 2010. And 2010. And he was, I believe, I want to get this right, a center fielder. Oh, Corey Dickerson? You got the first uh, name I mean, right. Corey Patterson. Corey Patterson. Corey Patterson wore no, number six. Wore number six in 2010. I do not remember that. He did. Uh, so we have one, uh, another guy who wore it in 2010, uh, still playing in the major leagues and just signed a contract uh, with a team as a free agent this year. Um, and a guy who's had a pretty illustrious career. Um, another Rule 5 pick by the Orioles in 2010. He's had a pre- pretty illustrious career. He yeah. just signed a contract this he offseason. He's still playing. In the division, by the way. In the division? Yeah. <laughs> and he played for the Orioles? He did. Dude, I have no idea who you're talking about. Don't tell me. I won't. I will not. So he wore number six. He was with the Orioles in 2010. 2009 and 2010. Apparently a Rule 5 pick in 2009. I thought it was 10, but it was 9. A Rule 5 pick in 2009... Who played for the Orioles in 2009 and 2010, who wore number six. If I give you the team he played for for the past seven, eight years, I'll give it away, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah, don't do that. Um, oh, my gosh. Why am I stumping over this? Was he a pitcher or position player? He was a position player, third P- baseman. Position player, third baseman, 09. Oh, <laughs> Not Jose Bautista. It was not Jose Bautista. No. Okay. Um, yeah, because he doesn't. He hasn't played in like four years, four right, or five yeah, years. Yeah. Still plays and just signed the you contract. You want to give you one more hint? In the, he signed the contract in the division? In the division. No. I, I, there's no way that I shouldn't be able to figure this out. <laughs> he's, he's a pretty famous player. Pretty famous. Pretty famous player. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I believe. I want to see how many. And you said he played. He played third base. Two-time All-Star, World Series champion. 
Two-time All-Star, World Series champion. I have no idea. I'm going to be so pissed you want, when you, you tell You want me to give it away? Yeah. Justin Turner, wore number six for the Orioles. Get the <laughs> flipping flop out of here, Justin uh, freaking Turner. So, so the, other, really the, the other ones I'm going to just give you because they're a little less known. Uh, Melvin Mora, Scope, uh, and Corey Patterson were the ones that I, I kind of expected you to get there. Um, and Drew Jackson as well. Jose Rondon, who I believe came over from the White Sox as a waiver okay. claim in 2019, also wore number six. Um, Ryan Adams, who I don't know. I was literally just thinking, oh, you Ryan were thinking Adams. Ryan? Okay, so Ryan. Yeah, Ryan Adams was a guy who I thought was going to turn into like a Brian I Roberts. I don't really remember type of Ryan Adams. He and Justin Turner came up right around the okay. same time. They, I, and I thought they were, and I actually liked Adams more than Justin Turner. I thought okay. that Adams was going to be a better hitter. I don't remember. And, and, it, and it never, it never, I mean, you were like, you're talking. I was like ten years old. So. Yeah, you, you, you were a lot younger. Uh, J- Stephen Tolleson on the 2012 Steve, team. Steve Tolleson, I remember him because yeah, he yeah. he hit a home run off of Cliff Lee in that Philly okay. series. Okay. Um, I remember because I was randomly working in See, at the uh, Glen Burnie Bonefish that day, and I remember him <laughs> hitting. It was the same day that I think Weeters hit hit a walk off double off the Allentown yeah. scoreboard, and Jones hit a home run, and like the Orioles took two or three in that series. And that kind of knowledge is why I give you these questions. Um, and the final one was right before Melvin Moore came in on the 2000 Orioles. Rich Amaral wore number uh, six. He also wore it in 1999. So Rich Amaral, uh, better player for the. <laughs> Mariners than he ever was for the Orioles. So there you go. There's your your number six wearer since 2000. Rich Amaral. All right, Zach, since you stumped me pretty good on that one, um, I'll let you do your final thought first, if you have one. I haven't come up with it because I've been thinking about the trivia, so I'll, oh, okay. I'll, I'll get one going. I know you have a more important one than I do. All right. Um, look, I had it in my notes for our first guest to talk about this, um, and for reasons that I won't get into, he was not comfortable talking about it. Um, my co-host is was also uncomfortable talking about it one way or the other for both of them one way or the other um because of the position that it puts him in with 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 Zach trying to work in this field he doesn't want to say anything about the situation and with Stan it's just it's a personal preference for him we've been accused of burying the lead today and I assure you it was not the intent but out of respect for the the founder of the show who passed it on to me who is a weekly guest of ours and out of respect for my co-host and producer who's done a phenomenal job for the last three years with me uh, decided not to talk about it until my final thoughts but yes of course on an Oriole centric baseball show that we have more than two hours to talk on every week I'm going to talk about what happened this week with John Angelos on Martin Luther King Day. And if you are new to this, uh, Mr. Angelos, he got a bit defensive on Martin Luther King Jr. Day at a press conference. The Orioles and Mayor Brandon Scott announced a $5 million commitment to the College Bound Foundation. And basically that helps less fortunate Baltimore City uh, students pursue a college degree or a post-secondary alternative um, schooling. Again, don't want to bury the lead here. It is important to acknowledge that this is a big commitment. Uh, to the city of Baltimore by John Angelos and the Orioles, uh, and it it can't be understated how important this is because there's a lot of a lot of kids who don't have an opportunity simply because of where they were born, and so this is five million dollars to help underprivileged kids have a chance at college or a, a career path after high school. That's a big deal, and we need to focus on the fact that that's wildly important. Unfortunately. Uh, the tenor of the press conference changed when Dan Connolly of The Athletic, and he's been on the show a number of times, asked John Angelos about why the Orioles haven't signed a lease agreement yet with the Oriole Park at Camden Yards um, and the future of ownership and all sorts of things. Uh, John Angelos took 
great offense to the question, saying he was going to take Connolly to task, that it wasn't, quote, appropriate subject matter on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. He also said the future lease agreement was not important at all to discuss on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and that Connolly's focus was completely out of touch. He invited Dan Connolly and all the other members of the media um, to come to the warehouse next week with him. He said he'll open the Orioles books, be very transparent about the Orioles and how they're being run. Um, but let's, let's be honest here. How defensive John Angelos got, how condescending he was to Dan Connolly, um, it was a bad look. It was a bad look for the owner of the Orioles, especially when you look at the fact that the lease agreement hasn't been signed yet. It's only the second time all in the last four years that he's spoken to the media. Uh, he chose this day to speak with the media and said the questions were welcome. Um, with the lawsuit going on within his family, uh, with the questions surrounding whether or not this team will continue to be owned by the Angelos family moving forward, him getting so defensive was not a good look. What I will say is that I'm sure the stress and the pressure that he's under is wearing on him. You can tell. You can tell by the cadence in his voice the condescending nature and tone that he took when answering Dan Connolly's question, the, I'm going to take you to task a bit. Very disrespectful to um, somebody who's probably about the same age as you. And I, I get it. You're powerful. You have a lot of money. You own a big league ball club. You're, you're the CEO of, of, of a professional baseball team. So you're going to have an air about you. And I, and I understand that. And I understand that when you're stressed out and you, maybe you're not sure about the future of the ball club and somebody's asking you these questions and you, you're, you've probably been asked this by so many people that you're just done with it and you took it as this public speaking appearance as an opportunity to let people know exactly how you feel about being asked this question so many times. Can't get around the fact that it was a really, really bad look. Now, I, know, I didn't know until Stan told me that John Angelos and Michael Elias were both on... 1057 The Fan yesterday on Inside Access with Jason Locke and Fora and Ken Wyman and Tim Barbos. Ken wasn't there because he's sick. They were both on each for a half an hour. Um, so an hour total. I don't know what was said. I don't I'm sure that this was a lot of um a lot of PR to try and rebuild the image that he uh, that he kind of tarnished a little bit with with the way that he acted on Monday. Couple things. He 100% needs to honor that invite. When he invites Dan Connolly and the rest of the media to come into the warehouse and go to the third floor and he'll open the books and be very transparent about the Orioles, he needs to honor that. If that doesn't happen, then shame on him. You said you were going to do it. You need to be a man of your word and do it. You need to have the integrity to do that. I would like to believe that he has the integrity to do that. Um, people may dis might disagree with me, but this isn't Peter Angelos. This is John Angelos. And frankly, we haven't seen enough from him to know what he's going to do one way or the other. So until he's given me a reason not to, I'm going to take him at his word that he's going to let this happen. Don't know that it will, but it should. Um, number two, I think he needs to apologize to Dan Conley. That might be a tougher ask than the first, than the first part. Um, but this is a, a guy who's been covering your baseball team for the past 22 years, who's respected in the media. He is a big beat writer, a big columnist for your ball club. It, it would be it would be in it would be appropriate for him to apologize to Dan Connolly for the way that he spoke to him, the disrespect and condescension with which he spoke to him. 
Will that happen? I'm not so sure. Maybe it happened yesterday and I missed it. If he did, kudos to him. If he didn't, it needs to happen. You need to put out an apology. But on the other hand, um, I get Dan Connolly. I'm very similar. If somebody came at me the way John Angelos came at me, I probably would have responded with vitriol as well. Uh, Dan responded, um, I don't want to say sarcastically, but there was a tone in his voice that that said, F you, dude. Like, you set this up. You're going to talk to me that way. I'm not going to pay you the respect you think you deserve. Um, I love Dan. I've had him on the show a number of times. I, I, I intend to have him on the show um, again in the future. Some people think that maybe he should have had a little bit more decorum uh, being one of the lead journalists and beat writers for this ball club. Uh, I'm not going to tell him what he should or shouldn't have done, um, but maybe things would have gotten less out of hand if he had just said, all right, well, then uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to meet with you after this and set up a time to come meet next week to, to take you up on what you're offering. Um, with everything surrounding the Orioles, the sale, the ball club potentially, the lawsuit going on, the mass in dispute, the low payroll, the v- losing ball clubs uh, for four straight years where they lost like 500 games, it's not a good look the way John Angelo spoke to the media on on Monday. And there's there's no getting around that. So, um, he's uh, frankly, he and his family have a lot to do to clear up their image and get back in the good graces of this town. Monday did not help. Um, so with, with that being said, I hope that he has an ability to do that. Maybe he did do that and I missed it yesterday. I haven't seen any reports about that, but uh, John Angelos, in my opinion, needs to get to work on cleaning up his image and the image of the people running his ball club. And really, that's all I really have to say about that. It wasn't that we're, we were burying the lead. It was out of respect for my colleagues that I decided not to talk about it until it was my own space to talk about it on my own without their input because they didn't, they weren't comfortable with it. So that's what I have to say about that. Um, if I mean, you, you can follow me or, uh, at Paul Valley the Third on Twitter. Uh, if you want to, if you're listening to this and you want to send me um, your response to it or you disagree with me, want to have a conversation, I'm, I'm all ears and want to have a conversation. But that's my opinion on the matter. All right, so my final thought has to do with uh, the Orioles' uh, stadium that they do have to extend this lease on. They just moved this week. I don't know if you heard this news, but they moved away from Delaware North as mm-hmm. their food service provider. They're bringing in another one that has been, um, and the, the name is escaping me I at the moment. I think it's Levy. I think you're right. And they, they're all over the country and plenty of different venues um so another another huge one that they're bringing in but outside of that improvement i which i hope is an improvement um i would like to still see some other things done with the camden yards mm-hmm. i think the, the scoreboard needs an upgrade there's some modernization the sound system. uh the sound system there's some modernization as far as technology that you know you go to i was in seattle a few years ago and their screen is incredibly big um a lot of the ballparks around the country are leaving them behind technology-wise. So I'd mm-hmm. like to see the Orioles make a few upgrades there. And I think that kind of plays into the whole lease argument and what the Orioles might do there. And, and obviously, I think they're going to extend that lease. And we'll see when that happens. But um, when they do that, I hope there's some more upgrades. You know, there's all this money that the state is allocating towards that and towards uh, M&T the, Bank the, Stadium they as get, well. They, both, they, $1.2 billion split evenly between yeah. the two stadiums. Yeah. And uh, M&T, they, they've made plenty of upgrades in the past mm-hmm. few years. I mean, they've made the scoreboards bigger there. The food experience has gotten so much better. And M&T is now one of the best places in, in football to watch a game. Yep. Um, and Camden Yards still is. But they've got a lot of catching up to do technology-wise to a lot of the other ballparks in the area. 
Um, I mean, even even Nationals Park has a, a far bigger screen and, and more technology than Oriole Park does at this point. So they have some things they have to do, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. But that all, I guess, is probably on the back burner until this lease gets signed, until they're there for you know 20 plus years. But I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of changes they can make. Yeah, the the, the Ravens they just signed a, a, a large um, lease extension with yep. with M&T Bank Stadium, uh, so they're here for the foreseeable future. Not yep. that we ever thought they were going anywhere. That's not going to happen unless the league folds, um, which isn't going <laughs> to happen. The XFL anymore. takes over. Right. Um, but they need to sign a lease agreement at Camden Yards yep. in order to be able to use that money. They're not going to let you use that money if you don't sign right. a lease agreement. Now, they have to have, I believe it's this February, mm-hmm. is the deadline for the five-year I extension. Right. I was talking to Eric Garfield about it uh, this week, and that's what kind of sparked yeah, my I think, thoughts on I this. I think it's February 1st you have to have uh, the five-year extension um, put into place yeah. or a new lease agreement signed. Um, one of those two things is happening, if not both. Um, but yeah, it, it's and that's when they're going to be able to use the money for the upgrades. They know they need upgrades. Yep. The money's there to the, the state's giving them to make the upgrades. At least extend the lease. And, and by extending the lease for the next five years, the people that think you're moving the team you quiet them at least for the next yeah. five years. Yeah. I would rather see you sign a 30-year extension like you did when, the, when you first opened the stadium. Um, but baby steps. You know, do something. You, they have to. Yep. They have to. I, I think a potential sale probably um, is in the way of that right now. But I'm like I said, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do with, with Camden Yards. And there's a lot of upgrades they can make to make it even better than it already is. It already is one of the top places. They but. need an open concourse. Yes. I think that's yep. something that, that, that is firmly in the works once they get that lease agreement yep. put in. Totally place. agree. All right. Uh, very good stuff today. Thank you to uh, Stan for his weekly segment. Thanks to Kyle Glazer of Baseball America for taking some time for us this morning. And thanks to Rockabaco of MassInSports.com for taking time on a busy Saturday for him. He had, he had to be out of here because he was going to do the Tom Davis show. Got it. Um, so thanks to all of our guests today. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to Zach Goodman for the extraordinary work he does as our, pro, as our producer and co-host. And thanks to all of you, the listeners, for tuning into the Batter Round. We will be back next week with another installment of the show. Until then... See ya!